This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning. You know, you got to get to work. And then when you get there, you got to be productive. So the goal of this show is to give you the tools, the information, the insight you need to uh, get some results today. With your family, with your friends, you name it. Today's the day, by the way, if you happen to live in New York, today's the day uh, of your primary. Get it done. Take it to the backyard. Get it done. It's almost like the Super Bowl. What do you mean? The way they set up the Super Bowl is you have the final playoff games, and then it's two weeks until the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? It's felt like it's been about two solid weeks of New York primary. Sick of it. Just get it over with by this point. It sounds like a great primary. Like because the food the the food's fantastic. You can try it everywhere you go. Did you see John Kasich a couple of days ago trying to eat everything in one sitting? No, he had like seventeen plates of food. They just kept sandwiches, spaghetti, yeah. all kinds of. All, yeah. See that guy really wants to win. He's going to eat his way He's to gonna, the White House. But like you go up to Buffalo, have some wings. Yep. I mean, some of the pizza. Are you kidding? Mm. Just don't use a fork. Don't use a fork. So I feel bad because what happens like when you go to, you know, some state, like I guess this is why no one was going to Wyoming. Right. That's sad because Wyoming are people too. <laughs> Wyoming are people too. Mm-hmm. Wyomingians. We got we to gotta respect them as much as we do the New Yorkers. Is that what it is? Sure. Okay. In a great war you could be fighting next to someone from Wyoming just as easily as New York. And that person could save your life. They or, could. Or cost your life. They could. But in an yeah. election, yeah, they have like, what, 10 to 15 votes. So. So. One thing that's interesting about the whole primary situation, yeah. I think people are quickly finding out that this isn't like the federal election. And this isn't like a huge part of it, right? This is a, the, these are two independent clubs choosing their representative, and many are screaming they're not even choosing them in a fair way. There you go. We'll get into that in a minute. We totally will. We're also going to be speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Cohen today about uh, the Syrian refugees. So, what really are the odds of a Syrian refugee showing up in your neighborhood? And if they do, do you need to fear this? Because a lot of people are afraid, and you don't need to be. No. You don't need to be. And these are people that are hurting. They need support. They need help. We are, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about Syrian refugees. And really, we could talk about refugees in general. There are two million, two million Vietnamese came to the United States after the Vietnam War. And, you know, no one's batting an eye about that. And we're worried about 10,000 Syrian refugees. Well, yeah, but what if they blow us up? Hmm. They probably won't. They just want a life. So we'll get into that in a few minutes. But first, let's get to Katie Jarvis and the headlines. Find out what else is going on around the rest of the country. Katie? 
Thanks, Matt. Today's the New York primaries, and according to polls, Donald Trump has an advantage with 53% support, John Kasich at 22, and Ted Cruz at 18. For the Democrats, Hillary Clinton is beating Bernie Sanders 53 to 41%. And the Supreme Court seems undecided on what to do with President Obama's immigration plan. The court heard oral arguments over a challenge to the president's plan to prevent the deportation of millions of undocumented immigrants. The justices seem split on the question of whether a president can defer deportation without congressional authority. Justices Sotomayor and Breyer voiced seemingly favorable opinions, while Justice Kennedy and Chief Justice Roberts said they were more skeptical. And at least four people have been killed during severe flooding in Houston. In less than 24 hours, some parts of the area have received 17 inches of rain. This caused widespread flooding across nine different counties. At least four people have been confirmed dead so far. Most of the flooding is being blamed on overflow from creeks and waterways. More than 900 emergency rescues have been carried out, with crews helping drivers trapped in their vehicles and residents inside their homes. Tens of thousands of homes did not have power during the day, and Houston's schools have been closed. And 300 demonstrators were arrested in Washington, D.C. on the last day of nonviolent protests organized by Democracy Spring. The new arrests bring the total to 1,240 since the group started demonstrating a week ago. Democracy Spring and the related group Democracy Awakening held sit-ins and demonstrations to demand Congress to take action to end big money in politics and ensure free and fair elections. And Hamilton has won a Pulitzer Prize. The Broadway musical Sensation won the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for drama. That makes it the fifth musical ever to win the prestigious award. The production, created by Lin-Manuel Miranda, looked like an early favorite because of its immense popularity and innovative use of hip-hop and rap to tell a historical narrative. The most recent musicals to receive this award were 2010's Next to Normal and 1996 Rent. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. Uh, great news in a wonderful way. Katie, it's good to have Katie on board. Hmm. We seem to run off a lot of our news people. Eh, there's a rotation. Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what we're calling it? Well, I mean, the last guy graduated last week. Like, we can never run off our board op, but we run off yeah. our news people. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I like it. It's fantastic. You're luckily. You're on the twelve-year program. Yeah, it's some would call it the twelve-step program. But. <laughs> when you take two classes a semester, you'll mm-hmm. finish in twelve years. But it's good. Ben's like our little baby. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, speaking of little babies, um, Trump, Donald Trump. Oh, I'm sorry. Donald Trump uh, had a little mix-up on. It's, it's, I came in like a yeah, it, it, it can happen to anyone. He he misspoke. Because remember when the whole Trump values thing came out, it was about the 9-11 values. Mm-hmm. We saw him after 9-11. But he misspoke and he, he, he called it another type of 11. And it's very close to my heart because I was down there and I watch our police and our firemen down in 7-11, down the World Trade Center, right what? after it came down. And I saw the greatest people I've ever seen in action. I saw the bravest people I've ever seen, including the construction workers, including every person down there. He That's said 7 11. He did. About. The, vi- the video is funny. He says that no one blinks. Nobody blinks. Everyone's just like mm-hmm. looking around. And I think with many of the, I've seen many of these 
events that he does. And people are excited when he's just off the cuff yeah. saying random things. Right. And, but when he starts getting into the issues, you start seeing people drift away. They're like, oh, boy, here la, we go. La, la, la. Here comes the policy speech. Right. They get bored. But then he gets into the fun stuff when he starts making fun of Cruz or whoever, and they like that. But I had this perfect image of the firefighters, the police, showing up to 7-Eleven. Grabbing a big bite, maybe a taquito yeah. and yeah. a big gulp out that's the door. Right. A little and a donut. Uh, the construction workers helping yeah. to, to build it yeah. up. That's right. Yep. And, and George Bush at the 7-Eleven. Do you have that smart saying, quote by getting we you? will rebuild this. We will We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much. And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. Wow. And then he goes, we're going to win in the economy. We're going to win with jobs. We're going to. And he just kept going. What was that from? One of his. Because that had events. a laugh track on it. Well, it was off a. Uh, it was uh, one of the night show, nightly okay. shows. I'm like, that's a pretty so they're, bad. They're, they're kind of laughing behind it, but it was just, you know. Yeah. Maybe, I'm watching, you know, you watch the YouTube videos of those mm-hmm. late night shows, and all of a sudden Trump just goes on and on about winning. Yeah. Man, that was great, though. Yeah. It makes you want to win. I felt like I was going to run through a wall for him. I mean, it's worth voting for him just to win more. <laughs> uh, apparently, um, Barack Obama is, he. so there's about 29-ish pages that need to be released. There was a 9-11 report mm-hmm. that was done by Congress. Yeah. And the report is huge. The post-9-11 kind of... They're trying to wrap up. Figure out they what investigated, happened. They investigated, found is... out something. There's 28 pages. Yeah. Rumors are is those detailed Saudi Arabia's role, mm. either officially or unofficially, in the attack. But our government took those pages out. Let's not under, show those. I believe President Bush... Yeah. Because it, they don't want to mess with the relationship, and they've been held in secret all this time, and now there's pressure on President Obama to let those papers out. And they're, he says they're currently assessing what the potential impact mm. of these documents would be. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia said if these things are uh, released, they would pull back on a half a trillion dollars in U.S. investment. Yeah, they'll, they'll pull their money out. So what does that mean? Well, it probably means half of New York would collapse. Or need to be sold to China. So the, the, are these pages really that bad for Saudi Arabia? Apparently. <laughs> so do they know what's in the report? Yeah, well, I'm sure they do. Okay. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it ironic because Saudis were the ones we, you know, hugged and kissed when we went to war. Yes. Iraq. They were our allies. Ah, oh, the tangled web. So and now all of a sudden, you know, these families, if they found this information out, I think they've always kind of known that. Yes. But they didn't have the evidence. Yes. This would be the evidence. Then they could go sue or they'd have to then pass a law to be able to go sue uh, the Saudi Arabian prince, I guess. And there apparently is laws that protect the king in Hmm. Saudi Arabia. You can't sue him. And then he's extended that to anything he wants. Oh, lucky. For his influence, he's like, no, this charity, this organization, this business, they're under my my purview, I guess. Yeah. So you can't sue them just as if mm. you can't sue the king. Wow, I need that. President Obama was on with Charlie Rose yeah. on CBS News, and they asked him about this bill that's going through Congress to allow 9-11 families to sue Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And and there's some uh, there's some concern on that as to, you know, should they be allowed to do that? 
And what about this legislation in the Congress that will allow uh, families to sue the Saudi government and other governments in different circumstances? Exactly. I'm opposed because of that second clause in your sentence, and that is this is not just a bilateral U.S.-Saudi issue. Uh, This is uh, a matter of how generally the United States approaches uh, our interactions with other countries. If we uh, open up the possibility that uh, individuals in the United States can can routinely start suing other governments, then we are also opening up the United States to being continually sued by individuals in other countries. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I thought that was the American way. To sue? Well, apparently. Okay. He's, I, I understand what the president's saying. Yeah. But no, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how far he should be concerned with that, but I guess you do. You don't, want, you don't want to open the door to a bunch of lawsuits. Right. Turns into a hassle. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, unless you're, all you know, you're doing is unless being you're subpoenaed. And, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hard. Well, it's a, it's a, I think it's a messy issue. What do you do? And again, the bar associate, or who are they? The, the lawyers of America United. You know, they suing is a big part of the United States. But the overriding thing is people want to know to what extent was the government of Saudi Arabia involved issue. in 9-11. Right. I don't think we'll ever know. Well, we might. In about 100 years. Yeah. Hey, uh, Trump, uh, he's restructuring. He's constantly restructuring. He's he, he decided it's time to probably get some pros in there. Mm. Lewandowski's out as his... This morning, uh huh. As his as his campaign manager or thug, whichever chief thug, chief bodyguard, and uh, so Paul Manafort, who was brought in, he's he's the big guy now. He is the campaign manager. He was the casino boss looking guy yeah. that, that you first used the term Gestapo tactics on national TV. So it's a fantastic change for Donald. Yeah, it looks like a pit boss is out there. <laughs> And the guy's the guy's Enforcing. a funny guy. He and he he talks to the. There's a, a female anchor on CNN that he's always kind of condescending with. Like, mm. you look beautiful today. I can't remember her name. For a girl. For yeah, <laughs> and she just is like, oh, geez. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. You look beautiful too. Like toots. Hey honey. toots. <laughs> hey sweetie, you look hot today. It's crazy. Uh, thanks. All right. Anyway, so Donald's uh, well, re- that's been a big criticism. He's yeah. lost in what all the Wyoming delegates. He lost all the Colorado delegates. He lost everything in Utah. I think he forgot about the West. Kind of forgot about that. A lot of the smaller states, it, it doesn't really the the impact isn't as big. But at the same time, Trump apparently at one point he sent a document to Washington D.C. saying you guys need to vote um, in the Washington primaries. Washington State. Oh, so they sent the flyers to the wrong city. Ugh. It was also saying you're voting on like April sixth, yeah. and the primary was April eighth. But that happens. It's so the, hard to you, you have the wrong date to the wrong city, essentially the wrong area of the country, right? And it's stuff like that showing that he doesn't have the organization that he needs. Whereas Cruz has a strong organization. They're out there on the ground in, in all those states. It's an interesting time to restructure because he's killing it in New York State. He's up by thirty points. Right. And so it seems like it was working for him in New York State. It's also his hometown. Yeah. But he's changing it, which will be great. Right. Because everyone keeps saying you got to run more professionally. You got to, right. and maybe this Manafort's the guy that can get Donald to act like a politician. Which is an it's an it's an ironic statement. Why would we want anyone to act like a politician? 
But it seems like Donald Trump is one that we really would want to act. And he's had so much success not running as a politician. I know. Well, he's also offended a lot of people. (laughs) Ah, isn't it great? And to think we get to do this till November. Well, I guess till January, really, depending how this all goes down. Uh, We are going to take a break, folks. When we come back, though, we are going to be taking on uh, a little education project about Syrian refugees. We've heard Donald Trump, you know, decry that they're coming here to like a Trojan horse to come in and take over and sneak in. And uh, other politicians that uh, are, are, you know, spreading a little fear about Syrian refugees in the United States. We're going to be talking with a true blue expert on the subject. Dr. Jeffrey Cohen will be joining us talking about uh, what's really going on with Syrian refugees. Are they a threat or not? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back in about two minutes. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, following the bombings in Paris and again in Brussels, fears surrounding refugee placement in the U.S. has surged. Many of the Republican uh, presidential candidates issued statements regarding their hesitancy to allow further refugee placement in the United States. With many of the nation's governors and citizens weary of the perceived threat, the refugee crisis has become quite a hot topic on the debate floor as well. But what are the real risks? Uh, that these refugees pose, and how many Syrian refugees are we actually hosting in the nation? Joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, professor of anthropology at The Ohio State University, whose recent article, Syrian Refugees Next Door, aims to answer uh, these questions and other questions relating uh, to the 5 million Syrians that are now seeking refuge. Dr. Cohen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. This is, uh, we've brought it up before on the show, but for me, man, this is a hard, hard situation because these refugees, they're fleeing from war, right? They're trying to just live and survive. And um, I guess what they've, what's really happened is they've overwhelmed Europe, really, it sounds like. And um, so now we know that uh, the United States, which, uh, which has, you know, has a I think a duty to help um, to help the refugees. We are we are now involved in bringing refugees to the United States. Talk to us about what are the real numbers? What's really going on with uh, with the Syrian refugee crisis? Right, right. So there is a crisis, no doubt, uh, and there are probably about very close to five million refugees who have uh, fled their native homeland of Syria. Within, the, within Syria itself, there are um, the majority of, of refugees have remained and they've just been displaced and they're, they're within the country. But outside of the country, there are these millions of people uh, searching for opportunities, searching for safety and searching for security. What's really important to remember is out of that total, a very, very small percentage is coming to the United States. Uh, how small? Uh, in 2014, 132 refugees from Syria came, were settled in the United States. Wow. Through, yeah, through last fall, we're talking about just over 2,000. So while we can worry a lot about the total numbers, 
and that is the total number of Syrians, the amount that are intending to arrive in the U.S. remains very, very small, and there are so many controls. Uh, there are so many hoops, so, so much time spent in uh, vetting these folks that we're not, you know, I, I think we can, we can very safely say we don't have to worry. It's 18 months of vetting. Right, right. right. And, and I guess many would say, well, yeah, but it's our government. <laughs> they, who knows that they'll even do it right. But, in, yeah. you know, in the end, it's still such a small percentage of people, right, that, that the is, idea that – yeah. Right. And you have to – whatever you think I think of the U.S. government, you, you also have to realize that someone is going to put themselves through this. You know, regardless of of um, the outcomes, uh, it's a long time. It's a long time. Uh, there are other ways that we need to. If we're going to worry about terror, I think there are other, probably more uh, more important avenues for finding it. Yeah. In fact, um, where was it in your article? You said there's there's um, seventy per, seventy thousand refugees have arrived legally right. in the United States right. following federal rules right. from other countries that. Might even be more dangerous. Sure, I mean we're we're we we have refugees entering every day. We take in uh, through last year we took in uh, seventy thousand a year. I believe this year that number is going up to huh. I believe it's eighty five thousand. Um, but still, that's a very small number. That's a very very small number if you figure what the uh, the entire population of the United States uh, is. Mm. You know. Well, and you, you, your other statistic that you brought up in your article is refugees seeking asylum in the EU is almost three hundred thousand. Right. Right. Yeah. So and those are yeah. It's a whole different pressure in the EU. It's a very different thing. Now, one of the things I think that's important is to remember that even even that number is not an overwhelming number for the EU to deal with. The the challenge is timing, I think. It's it's hard and the pressure comes on quickly, but these are things that we can we can deal with. And you know, one of the dangers I see is that uh in trying to manage these populations in a sense, what's happening is that they're very often being criminalized hmm. um, or at least treated in a very uh, suspicious way. And that doesn't build bridges. That kind of breaks breaks bridges and builds walls, which which become really dangerous. Yeah, we've talked about that before on the show where we, we don't – that if we criminalize them or, or see them as dangerous, then we don't integrate. We don't bring them into our communities and make them a part of our community, which would ostracize them and actually further the likelihood of – Right, I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. is this a um, – I mean honestly, Europe is the one that's, that's taking a lot of this though because they're – I mean uh, Germany, for example, I mean, they have so many more that they're allowing in, bringing in. How do we – is this the way to, to help Syrian refugees? Would it not be healthier to – create, I don't know, safe cities or camps near Syria so they stay close to home and near their culture and their mm-hmm. – is that is that happening? Well, there are camps. I mean, there are camps throughout Jordan, camps in Lebanon, uh, camps in Turkey. Um, there are communities in those countries. Um, the population is spread really across the region into Egypt, Libya, 
um, uh, and in these places you find some camps, but the figures from the uh, UNHCR, that's the um, that's the Commission for Refugees at the UN, uh, at the UN ex- uh, estimates that only about 10% of the refu- of refugees are living in those camps. So somewhere around 490,000, hmm. uh, so uh, and so on. Um, and those camps have a lot of there are a lot of challenges in those camps. Uh, there are a lot of challenges for people that are not in the camps but living. Um, you know, as refugees in a place like Turkey, in a place like uh, like Iraq and yeah. Lebanon and Jordan, uh, part of it has to do with the laws that really limit the ability to access jobs. Part of it has to do with the fact that you've just, you know, you you are fleeing, you are running away from an incredible level of violence that has, you know, destroyed your homeland uh, and destroyed education, destroyed. Um, Health care destroyed the the fabric of the civil fabric of of society, and that's that's a prof- you know I don't think we can even imagine how profoundly traumatic that must. Oh be, no, you know yeah, um, and and those are parts of the challenges and the work that's being done to try to address the the civil war is really really important in that light because that's. That's part of where the solution is, is. It has to come. It has to come in creating a uh, a place where people don't have to leave. You know, dealing with the challenges that are on the ground that have caused the civil war. And those are those. You know, that's a complex thing, of course. Mm. Um, that one of the things to remember is that the refugees that we're talking about are not involved in this stuff. Yeah, they're, they're fleeing. They want away. Um, they want to get yeah. away. I mean, that's a sign. I mean, I guess, you know, there was always the talk about, uh, you know, ISIS, you know, in, involved people that were also right. coming across the border with the same group. But, right. but you know, the dad carrying his little girl um, yeah. and running and doing everything he can to get out is a pretty good sign that he just is not involved. That's, that's absolutely right. And the number of people, I mean, nobody in the United States has that is – you know, no Syrians have been arrested, deported, detained in any way. And I, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe the number, uh, if you look across the, across the world at the population, I, I believe it's three people. Hmm. Um, Total. Been arrested. Out of Total. five million. Yeah, out of five million. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of what we need to do is try to, I think, uh, move the dialogue away from one of fear and towards one that says that that's focused on the life these folks are trying to lead. Yeah. And, and are running toward like they want they want the same things we want, right? Exactly, exactly. They just want their family, they want safety like you said, they want opportunity. Right. right. It's it's you know when a when a small child can say, you know, I just want to go to school. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Let's take a break. Um, Jeff, I want to come back and continue the discussion, find out once they're vetted from the government, how then they are integrated into um, the United States. I know a lot of charity agencies help with that as well. And uh, get into that. And maybe if we have time, talk a little bit about other refugees, refugees from other countries like even Mexico and other places that I know you've studied and worked on. We'll take a break. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Cohen. He is a professor of anthropology at the, at the Ohio State University and uh, has a research focus on migration and refugees. Um, a great resource, folks, to help all of us understand what's going on 
are these refugees a real threat, um, or is it time that we open up our heart and uh, become good Samaritans and just take care of these people and help them have a successful life? Stick with us, continuing to help you see the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow, it's a tough uh, it's a tough discussion about um, the Syrian refugees. There's so many people terrified, worried, concerned about these refugees coming into the United States. They're going to take over. They're going to form, uh, you know, they're going to form these communities that we're not going to be able to control, and eventually they're going to take over and and attack us. Is that is that plausible? Is that the real threat here, um, or is that just fear and fear mongering? Uh, joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, who is a professor of anthropology at the Ohio State University. Researches uh, specifically, um, his research is focused on migration and refugees, economics and development, nutrition and research methodologies. He's talking to us today about an article he wrote in The Conversation where he talks about the Syrian refugees next door. About 5 million Syrian uh, Syrian refugees have had to flee Syria because of the war and, and other infighting, and they're just trying to find a home. And a very small percentage of them, 2,000, I think, last year, and um, maybe up to 10,000 in the next year or so, I believe, are expected to come. Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, welcome back, and thanks again for being with us. Sure. It's, it's really nice to be here. You bet. Is, is that number accurate that it, you know maybe within the next year or so or two, we'd have maybe 10,000 Syrian refugees coming to the United States? Is that the right number? Yeah. The administration um, is asking to relocate um, 10,000 additional refugees, and this would be in addition to the regular numbers of refugees that, uh, that the country is, is resettling. Hmm. Which is a, like last year was about 70,000. Right. Um, right. But again, it was it was a very small number of Syrians in that group. Right. Talk about um, so when when the Syrians are vetted and you it's about an 18 month process. They're vetted by the U.S. government. Eventually, when they get here, they then they then, I guess, um, are are entrusted into nine or so refugee agencies, which are sounds more like church church or charities. Uh, church organizations or charities that then help integrate them. Is that how it works? That's that, that's correct, yes. Yeah. So there are nine uh, different agencies that uh, some of them are focused specifically on, on groups. Um, but those one of those agencies is going to help in the settlement process because it's not an, it's not an easy thing. No. Um, and it's certainly not one where um, I don't, I don't know, you know, the image of, Kind of throwing a dart at a map. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's nothing like that. I mean, these are there are there are plans of where to put people uh, and how to put people in, into places, and then how to support folks as they're coming in. Uh, from from simple things like, uh, you know, how do you hook up your utilities to more complex things like learning English. Yeah. So there's all kinds of process that that, ha- that that are to to that are that are managed. And I've seen stories on the news recently about even. Just getting used to our food 
and how to eat spaghetti. Right. And right. or how to go to a grocery store. Right. Because, I mean, again, if – and the language is a barrier in and of itself, but the culture is a barrier. Right. And if we don't incorporate them, if we don't, as citizens, welcome them into our community and be a good neighbor with them, then we have the potential of creating kind of an ostracized group. That's, a, that's absolutely correct. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I really wrote this piece, uh, this and, and, and some others, is that, that – that goal, you know, we're at a point where uh, the danger is, is, I think, much greater if we don't work to, uh, to come together on these issues. Yeah. Now, how is it uh, being received? I mean, it sounds like, you know, um, we get a lot of pushback from, it sounds like the GOP, um, especially the, some of the, not the GOP, but the, some of the, the candidates, Trump has talked about it, Cruz, I think they're pushing back on it. Um, but what are the governors saying overall? So there are 31 governors who together have um, put out a statement that they will not uh, accept Syrian refugees. And in fact, the, there's no real um, uh, there's nothing to that. It's a federal it's a it's a federal program, uh, or it's a fe- you know placement is a federal issue, not a not a state hmm. issue. Um, but there is a lot of opposition. Um, there was a, a, a poll that was conducted, and 53% of Americans uh, agreed that uh, we shouldn't be settling refugees uh, of any kind. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so it's tough. Uh, on the other hand, nearly a third of the, the folks um, surveyed said that uh, they, were, they were very supportive of proceeding with uh, bringing in 10,000 additional Syrians. The um, governor of the state of Utah, Utah uh, mm-hmm. Gary, Governor Gary Herbert, uh, you, have an, you have a statement from him in your article that right. he, where he recently told the NPR, we don't have terror imported to Utah. We don't want to have terror imported to Utah, but we were just a little bit reluctant to use somebody's religion as a defining description of who can come into a state and who can come into our country and who cannot. Right. I, mean, I think that's very powerful. Right. The minute you're saying because of a religion – because you're Muslim, you're, you can't come in. That's a big. That's a big issue. We even had Governor Herbert on my show, and he also uh, mentioned the fact that there's a Christian side to this. So, so be safe, make sure they're safe, and then be Christian and love them, and you know, child of God. Them. Um, mm-hmm. The irony of all of this is, it's we we kind of just i guess go more by our fear than maybe just what's practical these people are coming and right. they're even going to be coming to those states um we may as well you know do it right 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 and i think it's important the way he started that statement is we don't want to have terror imported and that's an important that's an important point we're not importing terror yeah ever nobody nobody coming in as a refugee is coming in because they've somehow advertised, I want to come in and, and you know, wreak havoc right. in your country. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And it's important that the governor says this and starts by saying we don't want to have to import terror and that we're not and that we're, you know, we're looking beyond religion. Um, when you have candidates running for office and you have people in office who are saying things like, you know, these people are dangerous, um, or really misrepresenting the population, it 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 puts in seeds of fear that are very hard to respond to, mm-hmm. and it's 
it, it's it's important that we have people uh, in the government speaking out against those sorts of statements. This really this okay. This is the because there's the, that's the difference, right? Between if a terrorist wants to come in, he could come in on a work visa. He could sure. come in over illegally over a border. He you know could sneak in. Um, but the refugee is coming through the front door with 18 months of vetting and is saying, I am begging for a better life. Exactly, exactly. And they've got, you know, a group like Church World Service or International Rescue Committee or, you know, there's just so many different groups out there mm. that are behind them and working with them. So, again, they're not coming in without some sort of support network. Now, is this – we hear about the Syrian immigration and, or, and refugees. What's going on with, with Mexican migration? You've studied that a lot. You've done a lot of work down in Mexico because that too, it almost has a similar tenor where we're, we're afraid of them coming in and destroying our culture. And again, the politicians have been saying similar things. What's going on For there? For years. Yeah. For years. It is. It's, it's – um you know, there are similarities, there are differences. Mexicans are not refugees, uh, or at least very few of the Mexicans who are coming up into the United States are coming in as refugees. There are some who do come in and they're asking for asylum and they're asking for security, uh, and they have really important uh, reasons for those, for those requests. They're, they're not made up. Um, but like the Syrians, the Mexicans coming to the United States are not dangerous people. You know, they're not terrorists. They're not, um, you know, Donald Trump portrayed them as criminals and right, rapists. Yeah. And, you know, they're just they're not. Uh, someone asked me the other day about that. And I said, you know, if somebody wants to be a criminal, they're probably do a lot better if they stay home. <laughs> true. huh? <laughs> it's true. So, um, you know, so they're, so they're just not. In fact, the majority, and I mean the overwhelming majority of people that I've met in my research, and this is over 20 years of working on the question of migration between Mexico and the United States, the overwhelming majority of people I've talked to are people who are up here mostly because they see an opportunity to uh, make their lives or the lives of their children and family better, or they're really trying to get away from something that's just not working. Mm. Uh, and, the, and again, they're not coming up to break laws. They're coming up to become a really uh, just a part of our nation and, and what we're doing. Do they really um, fulfill a work uh Need like we always hear that there's just certain jobs that people won't do. I mean, is that a real? Is that real? That that or is that just racism? I you know the terrible thing is I think it's both. Hmm. Uh, depending on what statistics you want to read, you can see where certain populations are going to come in and perhaps. Um, move into jobs that that you know citizens of North American citizens should be taking. On the other hand, you can say it's just blatantly racist, and there's lots of work that actually shows how immigrants coming in from places like Mexico are in fact making uh, making work for everyone, uh, mm. doing things. Most of these are folks that are paying taxes, paying social social security. Uh, the overwhelming majority, again, of most of the immigrants that are coming into the United States from Mexico, uh, 
are doing so with the thought that that, that they're coming in uh, with uh, legal paperwork behind them. Uh, and this is because a lot of them are very abused in the process, and they're they're misled uh, by people who are doing things like selling them um, uh, inappropriate numbers, social security numbers, for example. Um, but you know they're generating literally hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue. Mm. Uh, you know, and any Im- any immigrant who comes in who's living in a place, whether it's in Southern California or right here in uh, in Columbus, Ohio, is doing things like paying rent. Buying, paying for utilities, paying for transportation, right. you know, and all of that, all of that, those are the dollars that are, are generating uh, other jobs, other opportunities, going into community coffers, paying for schools, paying for programming, paying for roads and lights and so on and so forth. So they, again, there, there just needs to be a, a sense of respect and and I guess too, and legality. Let's make sure we keep it as legal and understand what's happening, and yet respect and not just disavow who right. they are. Respect's very, very important in this process, I, I believe. And the issues of legality are also absolutely important. Uh, part of the reason we have a large community of undocumented people, and this includes much more than just Mexicans, right, um, is that. These are folks that generally you, employers don't have to necessarily worry so much about. Um, you know, these are people that will, uh, because of their, the questions surrounding their own status, may not ask a question when, say, their, their paycheck is short hmm. at the end of a week. Uh, or uh, people who, you know, aren't getting, say, benefits um, just because they don't need them. You know, they don't need to be paid them. Yeah. Um, yeah, they can't. They can't expect them. Right, right. But they so, get, so yeah, that becomes a problem. Right. You know? Well, it's also yeah. usury, right? They're being used. Right. Right. right yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that you know one of the challenges here too is that it's easy to focus on the on immigrants. It's easy to focus on refugees. Um, you know, as we've said, talked about the the Syrians are not the problem. The civil war is in fact the problem. Um, you know, and and so very often, rather than talking about solutions, focusing in on our own fears uh, and focusing on how those fears uh, may play into these these populations, I think is 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 a dangerous, dangerous thing. No, I think it's great advice and a warning. I think for all of us, Dr. Jeffrey Cohen. Thank you so much. Appreciate your great insights you. on this. Sure. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. You bet. Again, Dr. Jeffrey Cohen from uh, The Ohio State University uh, and the author of that article, Syrian Refugees Next Door, at, uh, you can find on theconversation.com. Great insights, folks. Again, man, let's get our hearts open. It doesn't mean we can't be safe. Let's be safe and good Samaritans. Let's be safe and loving, caring human beings. Remember, every one of your parents or grandparents at some point, they were an immigrant. They were a refugee. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about it, it's, it's, 
this isn't a new issue, right? This is this is a this is an old issue. Two million two million immigrants or refugees came from Vietnam. Two million, and we're talking ten thousand here from Syria. So, but Donald Trump is convinced that you know can't let Muslims into the country. And then the argument: it, it only takes one. Sure. It only takes one, and right. then we have ourselves a, a terrorist. But we've talked about it over and over on the show. The terrorist is more likely to get here just statistically on a school visa and overstay his school visa. That's how he'll get here. No, I might or be naive. sneak across the border of Canada. I might be naive, but trying to think that they're going to walk from Syria to, I guess, one of the areas is we do talked about before, they go to Greece. Yeah. They get on these boats that we've seen on the news. And then they sink. And if you make it across that channel, right. if, then you move on from there and then walk into Europe and up through Germany and then somehow figure out to get from Germany to the United States. There's more, there's no. better ways. Right. There's easier ways. Right. No, yeah. If they're going to sneak into a country, it's going to be Europe somewhere. Yeah. It's not, they're not going to. And like you said, they could sneak in over here. There's easier ways to get into the United States than trying to walk across Europe. Right. This is again. So if you're, if you're going to go with Trump on this, forget the whole don't let Muslims into the country thing. That's just a bad idea. Just go with the racist wall because <laughs> that is probably the best way to keep anyone from sneaking into the country, apparently, according to him. Personally, I went to the Wharton School of Finance. I was like, I'm like a really smart person. He's really smart. He's really smart. The reality is, again, it's the visas that overstay those people. That's where hundreds of thousands are coming in. Mm -hmm. And then we just don't track them down. And a lot of that has to do with our immigration enforcement and how people just sort of fall through the cracks when it comes to documentation and record keeping. And you can't. So who do you trust? You can't trust the politicians. Those in in power, those trying to get into power. So obviously you just trust the media. Which apparently no one does. What do you mean? Just 6% of people say they have a lot of confidence in the media putting the news industry about equal to Congress. Wow. And well below the public's view of other institutions. This from a uh, recent polling. That like, really, think about it. What what media personality do you trust? None. I don't even trust myself. I trust some of the more the nightly news because they're just reading the news to you rather yeah. than stopping to tell you what they think about it. Right. But even them, it's it's all... You know, it's whatever angle, whatever shade of gray well, they want to share with you. And I think it's directly correlated with how the money has to be made. So the more the more this becomes a market-driven – media becomes market-driven and you have to do what you have to do to make money, we're going to trust them less. You know, same reason you don't just trust a used car salesman. There's more on that poll that's very interesting. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back in about five minutes with more tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, uh, helping you get through this crazy thing we call life. And to do it in a way that, uh, you know, you can still hold your head up. At your funeral. At your funeral? Doesn't that sound weird? Yeah, it does. Yeah. You want to have a good 
You want to have a good funeral. So you're that talk that my parents had with me. About, yeah. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass the family. Yeah. Or we'll kill you. Yeah. There was never really an ultimatum or a threat, but it was implied. Yeah. Yeah, you want to you be... You you want to represent the family well, and it's hard because as you're growing up, you don't necessarily know much. No, and when you don't know much, you kind of have to improvise. So today we're going to be talking about adulting, how to become a grown up in 468 easy-ish steps. Ish, ish. I feel like they could have named that that title better. Why? What do you mean? Become better at adulting. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds like adulterating. No. No. Not at all. To me, it does. Mm. I, I well, it, it does explain a lot. Well, it's impossible for me to adult, adulterate. What? Hmm? What? Yeah, because I'm not married. Then. You, you can't be... You can. We're talking about being an adult here. Case in point, okay. that was a good, bad example of being an adult. <laughs> okay, there's now 469 <laughs> easiest steps. We'll, we'll add this to the book. You, your job is to become an adult. Not to adulterate. I'm just saying they could have named the... No, the book's fine. Yeah. Adulting. I think you see that and you're like, oh, I mean, how this, to be an adult. Okay. We're doing this whole segment for you, Benjamin. Based, yes, this is for you. Really? This is an intervention? How to grow up and be an adult. That was a great example. Uh, in 468, now nine, easy-ish <laughs> steps. Man. I just think they that. could have branded it better. You, you just took it to a dark place. No. This I, was a good topic. It was solid. Adulting. We're, we're going to teach people how to – it is a tough time when you go from high school to college, mm-hmm. even college to real life. We've had two producers leave to well, go to real life. And both of them had questions on like, what am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. Well, you need to be an adult. Time to grow up. Well, but, but oh, who's going to – my son yesterday, uh, 21 – He's supposedly an adult. He can drink. Well, legally, yeah. He can vote. He can pretty much sign legal contracts. Yep. Can't rent a car. Can't do his taxes. <laughs> Didn't know about – like I got a call at about 1030 yesterday in the morning that said, do I need to do my taxes? Ooh. That's a bad question. Well, did you make money? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah. You do. And then he figured it out. Okay. So he had an adulting moment with the IRS. Also found out he's making – he's getting some money back. Huh. So he feels really good. His money that he overpaid to the government. That's right. And that's how they trap you to not hate the fact that you also paid thousands of others of dollars that you're not getting back. Ha! Trap. There you go. Part of being an adult. Welcome to the big world. So today we'll be talking with Kelly W. Brown about adulting, how to become a grown-up, and, you know, other tools, other information that you need. We're going to also bring Ben along. Thank with, you. With love. He needs help. And we're going to – I'm sure Don will want to talk to him about yeah. his other problems. There's things. Um, and then uh, – <laughs> but first, let's get to the headlines uh, with Katie Jarvis and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Katie? Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump has gotten rid of his campaign manager. He's let Corey Lewandowski go. The campaign manager and notorious arm grabber has been demoted to a body man and a scheduler. 
Paul Manafort will now run the presidential campaign. The number of staffers that report directly to Lewandowski has been greatly reduced. He had a history of yelling at employees and making demeaning comments to women. Democrats are buying up ad time to block the eventual GOP nominee. Pro-Clinton Democrats are buying ad time at local television and radio stations in key swing states. Their aim is to lock in low rates and lay a groundwork to dominate traditional media before the Republican Party can even lock in a nominee. One Democratic group alone has already spent more than $90 million in buying ads, purchasing heavily in Florida and Ohio. The United States is sending 217 more troops to fight ISIS. Defense officials confirm that more troops are being sent to Iraq to fight the Islamic State. For the first time, it's also sending Apache helicopters. The additional troops bring the total number in Iraq to 4,087. Most of the new troops being sent will be Army Special Forces. Some troops will embed with Iraqi brigades. The move comes as Iraq forces... Iraqi forces prepare to fight to reclaim Mosul from ISIS. The Supreme Court is backing Google Books in a copyright case. The court sided with an appeals court to uphold the legality of Google's digital library of more than 20 million books. The Authors Guild and several writers sued Google over 10 years ago, saying that the tech company's digitization process was large-scale copyright infringement. The governor of Michigan says that water from Flint is now totally safe, and he's willing to prove it. Governor Rick Snyder visited a home in Flint and drank the tap water. He then promised to do so for the next 30 days to prove that it's safe. He and his wife are going to be doing the plan together. Snyder has been held liable for inaction on the problem after the water was first contaminated with lead in April of 2014. And that's an update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Katie. And, uh, you know, it's news, folks. Life is still happening. Today we will be uh, talking about all sorts of news, but also adulting, how to become a grown-up. So if you have somebody in your life that needs to grow up, which I know you do, right? Friends, family, neighbors, we're going to help you. We're going to help you help them grow up. We have somebody in mind. We won't name names, but his name does rhyme with hen Hmm. or Ken. And uh, we're going to be working on his adulting today. It's going to be lots of fun. He just sits over there like, man, he's hating us. Again. By the way, thank heavens, New Jersey is on it. New Jersey is seeking to ban text walking. It's important. A New Jersey assemblywoman, Pamela Lampett, introduced a measure that would ban walking while texting to a potential penalty penalty of 15 days in jail. Or a $50 fine. Like, is this that big of a deal? There have been some severe injuries. People have walked into light poles and mailboxes and all kinds of stuff. It's evolution, man. Let them die. (laughs) You You don't need to ban it. Do you get to choose between the $50 fine or the 15 days in jail? Or do they? they I think the judge would tell you. Yeah. Yeah, he'll let you know. Yeah, those are more for the judge to choose from. You don't get to choose your own punishment. Well, I just don't think they're even. Like, it depends. Well, it depends. How much money could you make in 15 days? And how much of an issue was your texting while walking? Did you yeah. walk into traffic? Yeah, that's you a know, great point. Could be an issue. Poor Ben. It's like we don't even listen to him. It's okay. We're helping him adulting. We're helping him grow into an adult. I'm not sure I want that. Too late. I like where I am. 
Too late. You obviously do because you're always like, look, I got more chest hair. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't make you an adult, Ben. Makes you a monkey. <laughs> Knock it off. Uh, I don't know if that's a big deal. That do, do, I guess do you need – maybe you just need the law on the books so you can then enforce it. Probably. But if somebody walks into a poll, let them walk into a poll. Eventually, they will learn not to text and walk. Yeah. Some places are putting in texting lanes. I know. So they separate the sidewalk so you walk on this side to, to text and walk and over here just to walk. Do you know how much fun you could have with the texting lane? You know okay. what I mean? Just putting stuff – Oh, yeah. Leaving like a manhole cover. Some trip over things, fall into things. Yeah. Banana peel. There you go. See. I think it'll it'll self-correct. I really do. If you you handle it long enough, it'll self-correct. Universities, for example, I think that was at a university where they had a texting lane. Yes. On the stairs. It was. Yeah. That was here at in yeah. Utah Valley. And I think University. it was initially a joke and then they left it, I think. <laughs> They're <laughs> like, wait, people are using this. So if you want to text while you climb upstairs, you gotta be on the left side. Hmm. Yeah. You gotta be a courteous texter. It's hard. Who knows? Who knows? Um you were talking earlier about the media and how now only six percent of the people uh surveyed trust the media anymore. Says so they have six uh, percent say they have a lot of confidence in the media. Oh, okay. Putting now, the news industry about equal to Congress. Wow. That 6% would probably actually be the media that responded. It probably would be, yeah. There's, they, it was a survey of 2,000 people yeah. uh, from the American Press Institute. It says 90% of Americans say it's extremely or very important that the media get their facts correct, according to the study. About 4 in 10 say they can remember a specific incident that eroded their confidence in the media, most often one that dealt with accuracy or a perception that it was one-sided. And so the, the, that ends up people lose their confidence that way. They point out, uh, let's see, President Barack Obama's health care law from the Supreme Court in 2012. If you remember, reporters came running out saying that it was overturned. Mm-hmm. But then the Supreme Court kept reading the briefing, which yeah. the next page said that, uh, no, we're not. And then there was the Boston Marathon. There was a lot of reporting there, which turned to hysteria. People, people right. died right. in the reporting of that. And then they found out who the... The culprits actually were. Remember people standing on street corners reading tweets and calling that the news. The news, exactly. It was interesting. University of Virginia, there was a uh, Rolling Stone, had an, uh, there was rape allegations at a fraternity party, and it turned out that the entire reporting of that was completely wrong, and people were kicked out of school. I think, I, I, they, I think they fired people. I think people lost their jobs over it, and then they found out that all the reporting in Rolling Stone was wrong. So they had to walk all that back. See, so, who do you trust? You got to be careful. It goes on. It says about six in 10 Americans watch, read, or hear news several times a day as computer smartphones and tablets make it easier for people to follow the news and uh, on demand in an on-demand basis. A majority of people get their news from social media, most frequently by far from Facebook. Facebook is the place where everyone is, so you're not necessarily looking for news, but you're getting it. Yet only 12% of those who use Facebook say they have a lot of trust in the news and information they see on the site. Hmm. And I was talking with Ben during the break. It's probably because you're seeing like Aunt Mildred's cat followed by something from the New York Times. And does that diminish the New York Times because of the cat? Yes. Yeah, sometimes I get confused if I'm reading something from The Onion or The New York Times. Right. So The Onion is the parody newspaper that makes fake headlines. They do. 
Love and they're it. funny. They're hilarious. But sometimes they're really close to something that you could totally see as being well, real. Didn't like Kim Jong Un believe it was real? I believe so. There was an onion. Yeah, they cited it. an onion story in a in a propaganda piece, and we're like, "What are you doing? <laughs> You're citing the onion." So it, it's the amount. It says Twitter attracts smaller numbers of news than Facebook, and about eighteen percent have a good deal of trust in what they read on Twitter. Well, does it matter if you trust it if it just jives with what you think? That's the other problem with Facebook is everything you see is based on yeah. what you've liked before. See, I'm tired of the Twitter – I mean the feeds I get on Facebook because I want new feeds. Right. Somewhere I must have liked an article and now I get every kind of right-wing propaganda that exists. Then you have to unlike those things. If you whatever How do you, you unlike it? I'll show you. There's a button where you can hit uh, to tell it that you don't want to see more of this. Okay. And it goes away, and then you like the things that you do like, and you have to do it over a couple of days, but then you'll yeah. see your feed change. Because what I'm hoping to find is, you know, better ab workouts. Right. Um, tighter body. Mm. Yeah. Health. Healthier man. Okay. Stuff like that. And cat videos. And tons of cat videos. So if you hit like on those, you'll see them. I hate cat videos. Or it, any of the happier emoji-based yeah. liking system now. You probably want about 80% cat videos, 20% app videos, right? Exactly. Mm. Okay. Ooh, that's... Or is it 90-10? It's 90-10. Yeah. 90% cat. But if I could get a cat video doing an ab workout, I'd want 100% of those. <laughs> Are you kidding? Very, I still do not get this cat thing. Very nuanced cat it. feed there. I see Ben watching him all day long, but I don't get it. I want to get it. It's an art form. But apparently people love cats. And it's not – I was thinking maybe it's part of the problem with adulting. They haven't quite adulted. But no, these are adults. These are grown adults doing this. So no. We'll have to figure that out. The psychology of cat videos. There's something to it. I know it. Uh, in just a minute, though, we are going to bring on Kelly Brown. Kelly is the author of the book, Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. It's a great uh, it's a great read, a funny read, and we're going to be picking her brain about what, uh, what led her to this desire to uh, write a book about adulting. Interesting insights. Stick with us, folks. Uh, we'll take just a, a quick two-minute uh, getaway vacation. We'll be back in two minutes. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. You read the alchemist, listen to your teachers, but cheat in calculus. Tell the truth, regardless of the consequence. And every day, give your mama a compliment. Take your girl to the prom. Slow dance with Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Macklemore and Ryan Lewis teaching us about how to grow up. Who else could teach us how to grow up but our next guest? You know, it's it's an ever-challenging endeavor, right? When you gotta leave house, leave your house and you know, take on your own bills, maybe pay your taxes for the first time. Growing up is a hard thing to do. And our next guest, Kelly Williams-Brown, is the author of the book Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. She joins us now live from Portland, Oregon. Kelly, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you. And this is a, a fun book, Adulting. How to Become a Grown-Up. Um, help us understand, why would you write a book on adulting? And, and that word, is that even a real word? 
well, uh, it wasn't a word it until I, I made it up, um, <laughs> to the chagrin of my English teaching mother. Um, and it, it came from sort of my habit of just making jokey words, yeah. making making verbs out of nouns, you know, like, oh, I'm really busy bridesmaiding this weekend. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, the reason that I made it, though, is that I found that so many people don't actually feel like they're an adult, even maybe if they're in their 40s. So, yeah. Yeah, and for young people, you know, it, it, it that that line is getting blurry. You know, legally you're an adult at 18. You know, if you're going to school, then after you graduate, that's the first time you're really out and about on your own. So, you know, my argument is, is maybe it's not something you are or aren't at any, mm. you know, one point in your life, like now you're an adult, but rather it's the process of small, grown-up, decisions yeah. your day. No, that's actually a great point um, because I I am pushing 47 and yet I and I still don't feel like a grown-up. I don't feel like an adult except everybody in my family tells me to act like one. <laughs> Do you know what well, I mean? I, I wouldn't want to get in the middle of that particular debate, but <laughs> you know, one one thing I for the book uh, is uh, I, I was a newspaper reporter for seven years. And, you know, so part of me thought, well, I, you know, if I can go learn all about a bill moving through the Oregon State Senate and then explain it to someone who maybe has very little political background or understanding of how that process works in Oregon, then, hey, maybe I could also find people who are really good at keeping their houses clean or keeping their finances in order or who know what to say in social situations and interview them and sort of report on how you become an adult. But, you know, the funny thing would be, I would call someone who I really admired and really thought of as an adult, you know, someone who ran a very successful business, maybe was in their 50s, had a beautiful family, uh, sort of pillar of the community types, and they would laugh and say, oh, gosh, well, I'm not an adult. I don't, I don't know why you'd want to interview me. So, you know, it seems like nobody ever really thinks that they're, yeah. that they're there yet. You've you're you're in, you've found a universal truth, apparently, right? Uh, and, yeah, I mean, who knew? But, yeah, you but, nailed yeah, it. We, 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 you know, I think, well, what I really think it is, is that, you know, we're, we're always inside our own heads and whatever it is that we're not very good at, uh, you know, sort of in terms of life, we assign a very high priority to, you know, personally, it's, I'm, I'm a messy person and I work on it, but I'm, I'm never going to be Martha Stewart in the homemaking department. And, and so I assume that that is what it means to an adult, be an adult. You know, an adult always has a spotless, perfectly company-ready house, whereas <laughs> someone who, you know, needed a little bit more help maybe with their money or that really stressed them out, to them, that's the marker of adulthood. So we're always we're always moving the target based on whatever it is that we're not quite as good at. Yeah. Is it um... – I mean, I, I feel I feel that uh, that's that's actually a perfect explanation. It's pretty much we assign the highest priority to the things we do the the least effectively, and it's exactly. it's it really is. It's because uh, I mean, a lot of your four hundred and eighty eighty or sixty eight ish steps are are basically just funny things that no one would ever think about, right? What what's some of your favorites? favorites that are um, kid friendly you know, and you know christian oh, radio friendly of, of course <laughs> um you know 
One of my favorite pieces of advice is from a dear family friend named Bonnie Trumbull, who lives up here in Oregon. And Bonnie was saying, you know, when, when you're a young person and you're first out in the world, first out at that job or whatever it might be, sometimes you can feel really intimidated. You know, perhaps you've gotten an invitation to a fancy party or, you know, you're somewhere with important people and you're feeling like you shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And she said, just always remember that you all arrived on the same guest list and that your invitation is just as valid as theirs. And, you know, you can apply that to a lot of situations. If you're, if you've gotten that job that you're really, ex- sorry about that. Oh, no, you're good. If you've gotten that job. That's her calling right now. It's your friend. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, if you've gotten that job that you're really excited about and you show up and all of your coworkers are just brilliant and you, you feel so nervous, well, remember that, you know, you arrived with the same invitation as them. They saw something in you that they want. Mm. Uh, another really good piece of advice is just go ahead and clean something up as soon as it spills. Uh, and you wouldn't think that that would be a piece of necessary advice for a 27-year-old, but, you know, one of my friends was saying that throughout her day, you know, I should She's brushing her teeth of, you know, maybe a little teeny bit of toothpaste splatters or whatever. She just goes ahead and tidies it up right then and there. And I was like, that's brilliant. Why did I have to be 27 <laughs> before someone told me that? <laughs> you know, not that I would never wipe things up. Right. But, you know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, what? well, I'll clean it up when I clean the sink on, you know. It's so true. Whatever. But there really are just little things that make life easier. Exactly. And if you don't pick them up, somebody does. Is that what you did? Did you go around and ask everybody? Uh, Yes, that's exactly what I did. Um, You know, and I started with with people I knew, good family friends, um, you know, friends of my parents who I knew to be people who either were very at ease socially or, you know, really knew their way around, you know, the house in terms of being handy or... Were, were wonderful hostesses or what were successful in their careers. And, but the great thing about this is that you can really ask almost anyone uh, because everyone has some part of adulthood that they're good at. So I, I, while I was writing this book, and it, did, it was a several years long process, I would just talk to people and I would ask, oh, if there was something that you could go teach your 22-year-old self, you know, not, not the big stuff in life, not the forgive yourself, you know, accept, you know, your parents for who they are, you know, warts and all that kind of thing. But like, no, here, here's how you change a tire and figure it out before you were standing on the side of the road uh, with a flat tire. And so then I, uh, I would, I would take that and run with it. Mm. And again, I think that's it's so it's so appropriate because there's a great quote by Carl Jung that says um, that which is most personal is most universal. And so a lot of your points are so personal. Um, there was a – in the article that reviewed your book um, uh, from the New York Times that uh, there was a great quote and I think it was attributed to you that was it, – it, um, I just lost it. Uh, basically, it was talking about, you know, it's not freaking out about um, – oh, it, it's when you open up your drawer, your crisper – and you oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's so what bothers you i mean it's not just the fight with a friend that's that's one thing but it's that you you open up your crisper drawer and a foul smell comes out because 
you you thought you were going to go buy some kale and and cook it and you never did. I'm always so optimistic when I'm in the produce section about <laughs> how many, you know, kind of quickly perishable veggies I will be cooking and eating before they go bad in, you know, a week. Um yeah, and and it's, you know, we can really take all those things as signs and rather than thinking, okay, next time I really need to either be more reasonable about how much kale I'm buying or (laughs) barring that, I need to just give it a check every day or so and make sure it's not turning into that. I don't know if you've ever gotten to this point in your refrigerator. I hope you haven't, but you know, that kind of slurry. Oh yeah. Of, oh Oh, yeah. And it, it does not smell good. No. So, you know, but we, we don't do that. We don't just say, huh, here's a problem. What can I do to fix it? And how can I maybe prevent it from happening again? We fall into this, you know, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with you? How could you let this happen? This is disgusting. No human has ever been as disgusting as you, blah, 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 blah. And then we haven't really solved anything. We've just really upset ourselves yeah, further. Right. And, and our kitchen still smells terrible. <laughs> And yet, and yet, next time you're at the store, if you've if you've right. adulted and you're now an adult, then you wouldn't buy kale again unless you're really going to cook it. But exactly, I still exactly. may take two or three more times creating you know, the slurry. And, and and that's the thing is that you know we are never going to be perfect. You know, there's we're probably in some elements of our life. You know, maybe we were pretty good at them to begin with. Maybe it was something our parents really emphasized. And and so it's it's just not as much of a problem for us. But I think no matter who you are, there's going to be elements of life that are not second nature and that you do have to work on. And, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, as long as you just acknowledge that you have to work on them and acknowledge that you're not always going to be perfect at them. And that's, I guess, part of the growing up is maybe, you know, giving up the perfection idea. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, the quote that I love is, you know, don't let great be the enemy of good. Mm. And that's not to say that, you know, you should not strive for greatness, you know, but it also means that I think to be a healthy person, it's really important to acknowledge what you are good at and what you can do. And focus on that. And then if you're up against a, a challenging situation, rather than deciding off the bat that you will never be able to do this or you'll never be able to do that, just thinking, no, I can I can probably do this. Um, let's figure it out and let's have some patience with myself as I learn this. Yeah. Great advice uh, from, again, Kelly Williams Brown. We'll take a break and come back, continue this discussion in just a couple of minutes, figure out, um, you know, more great advice from Kelly and her book, How uh, Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easiest Steps. Also, you can go check out her website, kellywilliamsbrown.com. Just great insight um, that I think all of us could take into heart, right? Basic adulting. Well. Very basic. We'll be right back, Kelly. Thanks. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. 
to the Matt Townsend Show. We're on the line with uh, Kelly uh, W. Brown, author of the book Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. You can also go to her website, kellywilliamsbrown.com, to find more of her writings there as well. Um, she's, uh, she's just a fun resource to figure out how to make it into adulthood. Kelly, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks again. You know, anybody that can make up their own word, like adulting, I think is the bomb. Thank you. You know, it actually was uh, sort of a life dream to <laughs> make up a word that entered the lexicon. Um, and, you know, I'm not a scientist, so uh, I, this is probably, you know, this was my best shot. This is uh, perhaps my <laughs> legacy. I, I awaited, you know, becoming a new entry in the Oxford English Dictionary. See, you're there. You've arrived. And oh, and you're yeah. still you're still writing, right? Do you have other books planned? I mean, like how to become... A senior citizen. Uh, I mean, is that going to be in yeah. part of your life? <laughs> well, that's probably a little bit further down yeah. the road. Yeah, yeah, Actually, give it time. I'm, I'm working on my new book right now and having a wonderful time. The book is called Gracious. Mm. And I'm originally from the South, from the New Orleans area. And I think graciousness, you know, is such a wonderful, wonderful quality. And I think we live in a time when it's, you know, it's really easy to be distracted it's really easy to sort of talk about ourselves endlessly on social media, to have just quick interactions, but, but not really take the time to be with the humans around us and have that good conversation, you know, pay, pay real attention to them. So mm. I'm in, interviewing lots and lots of women and, and men, men too, but, okay, but good. a lot of Definitely. Oh, a gracious man. There is nothing like it. There's <laughs> nothing more wonderful than a gracious and courtly man. Uh, and, and sort of examining what that quality is and and how we can how we can bring it back a little bit. I love that. And because it is it's like a lost art. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because it, it really was something that, you know, would be really emphasized at home and taught in schools. And we've gotten away from that but but people love it you know and and having good manners is you know it's not about you know oh at this time you use this tiny fork to stab that piece of fruit otherwise you know right. you'll never be invited to the queen's table again no it's about you know consideration and making others feel feel comfortable and at ease when they're with you and and people respond to it, and people love it. And you know, but they talk to me as though it's extinct. You know, it's just, it's the dodo bird or something. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, manners are dead. And I just want to say, no, no, no. Manners is are things that we can all learn and that we can all do. And it really doesn't. It doesn't cost a dime. It just it takes, you know, extra attention and and moving through your day a little bit slower. But I. I think the rewards are well worth it. And it seems like graciousness is the next step. I mean, adulthood is one thing, but I mean, that just means you're, I guess, self-sufficient. You're, you're independent, you're able, you're capable, but gracious almost brings a whole different spirit to it, a whole different, now you're an adult with, I don't know, with respect. Yeah. Well, I think of graciousness as, you know, None of us really can do anything alone. You know, even if you're pursuing something solitary, you know, like writing a book, yeah. uh, you're, you're turning on 
your computer, which is run by power that other people are making for you somewhere, and you're working on a laptop that, again, you probably could not build yourself. So, I mean, humans have to interact and cooperate and work together every day. And, and so I think of being gracious and kind as really elevating that to maybe to its highest and finest form. And, and, you know, even just the word grace is a very, very interesting word. I mean, it's very, it's, it's an ancient word. It goes back to Sanskrit. The Greeks worshiped the graces. Of course, grace is a very important concept to many religions. Mm -hmm. And it's understood as, you know, sort of the light and love of God reflecting off of us as humans. Mm. And you, And, and you know, that's what we show to each other when we're when we're gracious. Yeah, I mean that's that's brilliant. How many times has somebody not graciously received an award? Or I mean, we we kind of notice and we always joke about the um, maybe the non gracious way of doing it, but we don't ever highlight how to do it, what what it looks like, what it feels like. We need solutions yeah. on graciousness. Well, and you know, again, this is like adulting. You know, I I am not. I, gosh, I really wish I was the paragon of graciousness, but I'm not, you know, I'm like everyone else and I can get in my own head and sort of stew or, you know, think a little bit too much about myself and, and not other people. But, you know, I've gotten so much wonderful advice for this book. Uh, one of my favorite pieces is from my friend Nora, who is not, you know, I, I'm, I'm, speaking to a lot of women who are several decades older than me, but Nora's actually younger than me. Hmm. And Nora said, you know, when I think of someone who's gracious, I just think of someone who is always thinking about other people and not themselves. And, you know, considering how the people around them are feeling, uh, thinking about what you can do you know, to to acknowledge them and their humanity. And so I wanted to play devil's advocate. And I said, okay, Nora, but what if someone maybe likes, you know, kind of thinking about themselves and their own stuff? And she said to me, well, I guess to that person I would say, think about how many people you know in your life. Hundreds? Thousands? Don't you think a life spent thinking about hundreds or thousands of people would be way more interesting than a life spent thinking about just one? Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, it's it's definitely it's not nearly as, you know, straightforward and how to ish. Uh but there are many, many, you know, examples given throughout the book of, you know, how how we can be gracious just as we go through our day. Simple things, just mm. making sure that you say hello and goodbye to everyone, uh, which sounds so obvious. But then if you pay attention for a day, you, you probably realize that you don't always do that. You don't always greet people. You know, you, you greet someone who's coming into your home or a friend that you're meeting, but maybe you don't say hello to that store clerk right. in the morning. Or and, thank but, you, you know, or yeah. Yeah, they, they deserve it and just, you know, appreciating the things that people do for you and never feeling entitled to it because when you don't feel entitled to anything, then everything you receive becomes a gift. Yeah. Then it's not, yeah, you're not expecting it. It's a surprise. Exactly. You know, if, if you get an invitation to a party, then 
that person didn't have to invite you to the party, but they, as they were planning this special evening for their friends, they thought, oh, gosh, let's have Kelly. And, and that's an honor that they want me there. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not entitled to it. And so because of that, you know, you, you don't critique the party in your head. You don't think, you know, of what you could have done better. You are simply really grateful that you're there. And um, that that gratitude really is is very life-changing. It changes your perspective on your day every day and of course you know i i it's i luckily i feel like some of it is rubbing off on me or at least some of the viewpoints that that i'm getting are rubbing off and and it you know not only is it really make you a more pleasant person to be around but it feels really good you feel happier yeah as you move through your day and which that just that just changes everything right now i can just enjoy my life. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you're, you're, you're not spending a lot of time, you know, when you're not spending a lot of time thinking about yourself, that means that you're not spending a lot of time, you know, criticizing yourself or comparing yourself to everyone around you and, you know, maybe being envious or trying to figure out, you know, why does this person have this and I don't, you know? Hmm. Does um, so part of the motivation, and I guess this is probably the final question: is what you are almost it sounds like just learning and exploring life, and you're doing it as a writer. Is that is that what you're doing? Because like you you keep talking about how you're not a pro at this stuff; you're just curious, and then you just ask people that have ideas, and you take ideas, and they feel good. <laughs> I mean, some are funny yeah. and some are, some just make you feel good, but you're starting to internalize it as you go. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I've always been sort of a natural reporter, even before I was a reporter. And I'm just really interested in talking to humans about what they think and why they think it and, you know, what motivates them to get up in the morning and, and what, you know, what they wish the world would know and, I I think that that ends up usually, you know, with adulting and certainly I hope with gracious, something that other people turn out to be interested in too. And I'm just lucky enough to get to, you know, enjoy enjoy the ride as I'm putting it together. Yeah. No, it's working. It's working, Kelly. No, it really is. I love it. And I just love the idea that you're also, you're learning and, and then teaching. There's a great benefit in life to asking questions, listening to others. And then teaching what you learn. It's powerful. Kelly Williams Brown is the website. Go to the website, kellywilliamsbrown.com. And also go look for the books, Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easiest Steps, and her new coming uh, book that should be out, um, Graciousness. Um, Kelly, when will that book be ready? That is coming out in a winter of 2017. There you so, go. Uh, not immediate, working yeah. on it through the summer, but... Um, I will definitely let y'all know when it. it comes We'll up. have you back. We'll talk graciousness. Oh, that would be fabulous. I should I should know much more by then. So. Awesome. Kelly, thank you so much. And, and uh, keep up the great investigative work. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And I hope you have a wonder, wonderful rest of your day. You too. Kelly Williams-Brown, folks. And again, the book, Adulting, we all need it. In fact, we got two, two copies of it for Ben. <laughs> and a dictionary. Uh, <laughs> to help him through that difficult ride. Stick with us, folks. 
doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, and see the good in the world, for heaven's sakes. We just saw a bunch of it right there. We'll take a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, You know, so what would you teach somebody that needs to, you know, they're going out on their own. So all of these college graduates that will be graduating in the next few weeks, what information do they need to know? There's so many things. And you can't, the deal is, you know, it may not even matter if you do tell them. Because how many times have you told somebody something to your children and they just can't hear it yet? They're not ready to receive it. Right, Ben? Why do you look at me like that? I don't know. It's just like I've tried to tell you a hundred different ways and you just you just forget. It's hard to remember. Did your parents give you great advice so when you left – you're coming to BYU. What did they say? What were the what was the parting advice they gave you? Good luck, son. Have fun. It, Study hard. Is that it? That's good. So what I remember. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Did they say anything about eating in the tub? No, but they did say to brush my teeth. Did they? Um Yeah. It's funny you'd have to say that. Shower at least three times a week. Really? Well, seems like underdoing it. I think they were building up from what I was doing. Oh, that's a good point. It was a stretch goal. <laughs> so they they were just trying to stretch you a little stretch goal, take you from one time a week to three on a good day, on a good week. Yeah, because I worry. Like I see pictures of my son on his LDS mission, and there's just little things that you know aren't happening. You know. Like a collar stay. Do you know what a collar stay is? Or a, those, oh, yeah. are, those things you put in your collars, right, to make them nice and sharp. So we, we spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on shirts for this boy, and all of his collars are curling into little, you know, rolls. Little parchment rolls. And I'm thinking, collar stay. Just put a collar stay in. Remember that little bag of collar stays, son? So we now write him, hey, pal. And you want to be positive. You don't want to be negative. Hey, buddy. You notice how your collars are curling in? Just little collar stays. Now, is that a big deal? No. It's just In Europe, they sew them into the shirt. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That seems like the right way to do it. Then it's not a choice. <laughs> I liked anything I can do to take away agency. That's how I play the game. Um, But there's other advice. What other advice would you give out there to your kids? What would you love your children to know? Like clean up a mess. When you make the mess, clean it up. That's it. Put the cap on the toothpaste. Just because if you do that, it won't dry up and you won't have to, you know, you won't have a mess. These are basic things. Put water. My wife taught me this one. Put water. If you're not – so when you put a dish in the sink, just put water in it. Just get water on the dish and like, you know, covered in water. 
and it makes it easy to clean. But most of us don't do that. My wife taught me the craziest thing when we first got married. Hang up your towel. Just hang up your towel. That's a little radical. I'm like, what? Who? What? It's like what you do is when you've used your towel, it's just as easy to just hang it. Then it dries. And tomorrow you'll use it again. Said it just like that. I'm like, wow. That makes so much sense. Especially because we're different, right? Um, I have a rule where let's just do everything once, right? So just do it once. Don't – like if you take your shoes off and you get up, like you know, let's say you're watching TV and you kick your shoes off. Then you pick your shoes up and then just take them with you when you go to bed and put them away. But – We'll have kids that will kick their shoes off and then my wife will move them and then we'll move them and then we'll move them and then we'll remind them and then we'll move them five times. That seems like the more logical. (laughs) Just do everything once, right? So the minute you think of something, just do it. Just do what you thought of. Some great advice too is just get one chore done a day. When you come home, get one chore done a day. Just one thing. It works. Just one thing. You don't need to do 10 things. Just one thing. (sighs) Sometimes just get it started. We've talked about this on the show before. Sometimes you just need to get the goal started because once you get it started, then your body will just naturally kind of – and your mind will just naturally take over and you'll be into it and you'll get it done. Just get it started. Ah, there's just a lot of advice about the simple things, right? Just the simple things. Don't iron your wife's blouse. It'll turn ugly. You'll ruin it. It'll get bad. Dry clean only. Just things like that. Hang up your coat. Was the blouse one a recent one? No, no, I don't want to talk about it. And they, no one can prove I did it. So let's just be real. It's just a blast. It's not like we can't replace it. You seem a bit defensive. No, I'm not defensive. I'm just sick of it. Anyway, <laughs> that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Basic, basic advice. We all need it. We all need it so bad. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning to you. It's Tuesday. It's another, it's another day. See? You're surviving. You're making it work. We, by the way, here at uh, uh, the Matt Townsend Show, we have been evaluating a an incredible news story out of China. <laughs> Chinese bulldozers battle. We will get to that. That will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today we're going to talk about battling bulldozers. 
I mean, you think a fist fight at the work site's bad, but what happens when six bulldozer drivers or front end loaders, I think they call them in yeah. the United States, what happens when six front end loader uh, loader drivers become agitated? Agitated. Decide to take it out on the the streets of whatever small t- city it they're is. in. Great video that we'll be posting on. Yeah, we'll get it up there soon. <laughs> at Dr. Matt Show. So you're going to want to see that. We also will be posting the uh, a wonderful video made, I'm not sure by the Trump campaign or not, about Trump steaks, how to cook a Trump steak. I, I think Trump complied with it just because he wanted to show how to properly cook a yeah, Trump steak. Yeah, you can see that you can see that Trump was obviously involved. So we will get to both of those stories in just a few minutes. We will also be talking with our um, – our parenting guru, our what do we call her? The guide or the 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 child whisperer. Today she's going to be talking to us about some of the myths about pregnancy and blowing up the myths of pregnancy. Julie K. Nelson will be joining us, the bomb mom we call her, and uh, she's going to walk us through that. But first, let's get to. Of course, the headlines with Katie Jarvis and find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Katie? Thanks, Matt. The New York primaries are today, and before polls opened, a spokesman for Hillary Clinton's campaign offered a cautiously optimistic forecast for the result. He said that he thinks the margin will be a little tighter than people expect. Even though some polls over the weekend did show the race tightening, most still showed Clinton at least 10 points ahead of Bernie Sanders. On the Republican side, polls showed Donald Trump with an advantage of 53 percent, John Kasich at 22 percent and Ted Cruz at 18. And at least four people have been killed during severe flooding in Houston. In less than 24 hours, parts of the Houston area have received 17 inches of rain. This caused widespread flooding across nine different counties. At least four people have been confirmed dead so far and more are being found. Most of the flooding is being blamed on overflow from creeks and other waterways. More than 900 emergency rescues have been carried out. Crews have been assisting drivers trapped in their vehicles and residents inside their homes. Tens of thousands of homes did not have power during the day and Houston schools were closed. The United States is sending 217 more troops to fight ISIS. Defense officials confirm that more troops are being sent to Iraq to fight the Islamic State. It's also sending Apache helicopters for the first time. With the additional troops, that will bring the total number in Iraq to 4,087. Most of the new troops being sent will be Army Special Forces. Some troops will be connected with Iraqi brigades and battalions, which puts them closer to mortars and rocket fire than they have been before. The decision to send more soldiers comes as Iraqi forces prepare to reclaim Mosul from ISIS. The governor of Michigan says that water from Flint is now totally safe, and he's willing to prove it. Governor Rick Snyder visited a home in Flint and drank the tap water. Then he promised to do so for the next 30 days to prove that it is actually safe to drink. He also said that his wife is on board with the plan. Snyder has been held liable for inaction on the problem after the water was first contaminated with lead in April of 2014. And that's the update for today. Back to you, Matt. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate it. And uh, we got a great show. Holy cow. I'm telling you. We this 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 last hour of the show is where we like to just kind of we call it unleash the kraken. <laughs> we've got a couple of great videos you need to see, um, and just they're just interesting stories. One of them is this Chinese um, construction workers duel with 
bulldozers, front end loaders. Police in northern China say an argument between construction workers escalated into a demolition derby style clash of heavy machinery that left at least two bulldozers flipped over in a street. In online video, several bulldozers are seen ramming each other while passengers and cars scurry away from the cloud of dust. The video shows one driver running unhurt out of his toppled bulldozer and a uh, fast-moving type, also known as a wheel loader. It's kind of the front-end loaders is really what these were. I didn't really see a bulldozer. I think I saw six front-end loaders. And they were going to town on each other just crashing into each other and then eventually somebody was able to tip over one of them and then all of his buddies came and tried to right side him and get him back up it's really like a bunch of turtles it is just hammering each other it was crazy they couldn't disclose the details uh, about arrests or injuries until investigation concluded the police said china's construction center or sector has fallen on hard times so it's probably a battle of you know maybe who had a job who got the bid who won the bid and you know who got laid off yeah so you can they, lay me off but i still have access they, to the front they, end they took the boss's equipment and just went to town went to town in the streets crazy you ought to be grateful that uh, you know videos up on the twitter the dr Matt Show twitter yeah. page you're going to want to go see that one um and you ought to be grateful, really, that you don't have these types of fights at your workplace. I've never seen anything like it. Like you've seen like a rogue front loader. In fact, there's a story about a teenager that stole one a while ago and went on a – He drove through Minneapolis. Yeah. Oh, did he? This was at like – Like four, five in the morning. Yeah. yeah. No one called it in. He drove around for about four hours and then crashed into a car dealership. Which is Just to happens. be expected. Yeah. It's hard to stop a front end loader. But six of them? Going head to head. Crashing into each other. And seriously, like trying to hurt each other. Yeah. Like they've got their buckets up high trying to come down on the bed of these things. I mean, it was so crazy. I, I, wonder, I want to know the rest of the story there. Let's was, just make it up. Was somebody offended? Was there like, you know, there was a girlfriend and no. someone offended somebody? No. And... This is what happened. Okay. One guy, they're all working on a site. They all work together. Mm. They're all buddies. It's a major dig. They have mm. a dig going on. A <laughs> major dig. And one a big dig, if you will, a big dig. And one guy, you know, starts making fun of the new rookie. Mm, hazing. Hey, rookie, you shovel like a baby. <laughs> wow. He threw out that one. He's like, you're good. At you this. shovel like a baby. No, you do. You don't even know how to use a front end loader. You're driving like you, like you're young. Wow. Stuff like that. It's and better then, it's better in, when it's translated. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. Down, I'm using English. So right. yeah. It sounds more intense. <laughs> and then someone's like, Well, I'd rather be young and inexperienced than old like you and inexperienced. Wow. <gasps> Are you saying I'm old? Yeah. And inexperienced. Loser. <laughs> then it hit the fan and then Oh, yeah? Your mom's a loser. Oh, yeah? Your mom dates Donald Trump. Ooh. That gets thrown out there. I know. And then, oh, don't talk about my mom that way. And then he says, watch this, rookie. 
And he started pounding on him with his front end loader. And, and then they all yeah. ran away because the cops came up. Yeah. Cops show up, hit the road. The end. And that is scene. That was a good story. Thank and you. then. You like that? I'm a writer. I wrote a book for heaven's sakes. You're a method actor. That's what that was. I'm a method actor and a writer. So that's one story that we have to get. Another uh, story that you've got to come find on our Twitter feed, which is fantastic, um, is Trump stakes. They made the news and we found a viral video that um, is a, a video of somebody making a Trump stake and many claim it's Donald Trump. Well, yeah, I was I was pretty skeptical of Trump stakes when they were first announced, you know, but after this video, like there's no I, doubt I'm, I'm kind of a believer. Yeah, there is no doubt that um, Trump stakes are real. Now, I personally don't think that this video is showing Donald Trump making a Trump stake. Are you sure? It's what you do is you, you'll all of a sudden you just see kind of a stake appear, right? It's thrown down, and then you see these tiny little doll hands, <laughs> doll hands, because that was part of the big debate that Donald has small hands, and um, that created a whole big fight about a bunch of stuff. And but the entire stake is then being seasoned and prepared, and um, you know, like marinated by these tiny little hands. But the hands are also wearing like a nice suit with a nice white shirt, I think with cufflinks. They're really orange. Are they orange? <laughs> anyway, it's just absolutely hilarious. And so we put that up on the Matt Townsend – at Dr. Matt Show Twitter feed as well. You're going to want to look that up because that's one that you know, you're just going to bring up at the party. There's certain things you want to bring up at your you – know, Your popularity will go way up if, oh, way you, up. if you share this. Even if you love Donald Trump, this is just funny. It's it's probably, if I'm betting, it was done by Marco Rubio's campaign because he's the one that you know made a big deal about the hands thing. So anyway, you're going to want to check that out. Also in the news, uh, we talked about uh, the fact that it's easy to make a mistake. But there was a university, University at Buffalo, that sent out 5,000 letters to prospective students and mistakenly notified them that they had been accepted into the school. I actually have some audio from that. Oh, do you? Yeah. Let's hear that. Oh, come on! <laughs> they, they found out later that there, there had been a mistake. And these 5,000 people that received, you know, welcome to the school letters actually didn't get into the school. They didn't make it in. They're still under um, – they're still being looked at. But what happened is they grabbed the wrong file and a file then – and they sent the letter to 5,000 students. It was a bad mistake. They've apologized for it. Oops. Oops. Just kidding. Yeah. Remember those plans you were making? But, yeah. But the hard part, I think, is writing the unaccepted letter. Yeah. But still saying you're, – but you're still in the running. So, you know, University of Buffalo – Sadly, we regret to inform you that you have been unaccepted from your first acceptance letter dated this date. We have now officially unaccepted you, and yet we are still considering you as a possible exception into the school at the University of Buffalo. It's bad. It's bad. I don't know how you get out of that. Awkwardly. I guess awkwardly. <laughs> I guess what you do is you make the news and you embarrass yourself. I mean, this isn't like – these aren't invitations to a ninth grade birthday party. No. 
Those letters made people's lives. They were like, yes, I'm going to U of B. <laughs> U of B? They probably say Buffalo. It's actually it's NYU at Buffalo. Oh, right? there you go. Isn't it? I don't know. It's New York University at Buffalo, probably. So people were excited, then their dreams are dashed, and but hey, we're, you're still in the running. Yeah. So yeah, there's no way to get out of that. There's it's a PR nightmare. It's a horrible deal. And as you said, you you have to confront it, make yourself admit that you made this horrible mistake, and mm-hmm. hopefully just kind of move on. There's every year it seems there's another school that does this because they're doing it all electronically, and with one click, you can make a horrible mistake. Yeah, just like pretty much any time you hit reply all, pretty much. I don't. I don't know that I've ever done that. Neither have I. I I've, I've never hit reply all. I have sent out fifty replies instead of hitting reply all because <laughs> I didn't know reply all existed. <laughs> Something I overlooked. But now I would never do that. Um, we we got to get to this. Uh, speaking of mistakes, some of us, you know, when you're when my wife was pregnant, I I believe certain things, mm. right? I believed, for example, that she had mystical powers, that she – I believed that she could sense things that no natural human non-pregnant could could sense. Non-pregnant. Because she would smell stuff that I didn't smell. Right. She'd hear things. I've been there. That I couldn't hear. What's that? I don't know. I don't know. She'd crave things that I didn't – Is it superpowers? I didn't know what it was. But we're going to be asking Julie Nelson if these myths are real or not. Do women have extra sensory perception? Can they can they read your mind? Mm. Uh, another thing I need to know is: Does a man have to gain twenty pounds because S- his sympath- wife did sympathy weight? Sympathy weight? Because yeah. I've gained twenty with every child. Wow! I know. And so then, you used to weigh like three pounds. Yeah, okay. I did. Hmm. Don't be rude. <laughs> No, I've lost some weight, but I think it's easier for the wife that's carrying the baby to lose weight because the baby is weight. Mm. The man just is carrying nothing but fat. That's right. <laughs> and water, if you drink water. Right. Or Diet Coke. These are all juice. these are all important situations so that we're gonna need ask, answers. I know. We're going to ask these questions for the, for the people out there to blow up some of these myths. And who better to do it than a pro, Julie Nelson. So if you guys have any questions, not you, Ben. Because you asked questions in the other hour and it really turned ugly. So um, it was a legitimate question. No, 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 no it wasn't no, legitimate. Not it really. Was, it was, so let's just keep those little lips quiet. Jeez. But it was a legitimate question. Not really. No. So if you want to know what questions he asked, just check into last hour. If I leave it in the podcast, yeah, the I, show. yeah, you'll have to edit that. I, I out. think they they may have been edited out. Man, and by the way, we spend more money on re-editing. On this show, it's crazy. I mean, seriously, Ben, we could we could actually pay you if we didn't have to re-edit so much. Anyway, think that through. Oh, think it through. We are going to take a break. So when we come back, Julie Nelson will be joining us from a spoonful of parenting. Stick with us. We're addressing the myths of pregnancy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Uh, If you've ever known somebody that was pregnant, 
then you know that there are a lot of things that might be myths, but some I think are true. Um, like that a pregnant female can smell um, can smell something a mile and a half away, or that she has extra sensory perception and can read your mind at a higher level than at any other stage. Or another myth is, it may not be a myth, I, I think this is a fact, is that you have to, as a husband, you want to gain 20 pounds with her as she gains her 50 pounds for you. Well, we're going to debunk the myths, and who better to do that than Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com, a great website uh, that you got to go check out. Tons of great information and books, Parenting with Spiritual Power, Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger uh, is another great book. Um, but Julie's with us today to help us walk through the myths of pregnancy. Hello, Julie. Hello. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I loved your myth examples. The, the, they're all real. They're are, all real. Are they myths? Well, gaining sympathy weight is a very real thing that it's men do. It's not a myth. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice mm-hmm. they have to make. Exactly. But it's, it's really kind of them to do that. So I, she just doesn't feel so large. I've gained 120 pounds for my wife. <laughs> and I've lost almost half of it. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Almost half. It's because I love her. Now, what well, about the smelling things a mile away? Well, I was thinking, and while you said that, I was thinking of that we are so sympathetic. We cry at cat commercials. Yes. Yes. Or, so or, does Terry. or tire, tire commercials. You know, Terry gets weepy uh-huh. around commercials like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So we're very compassionate people yeah. when we're pregnant. So what are the myths, though? Well, you know, the myths are, they've been around for a long time. We could call them wives' tales because yes. they've been around forever. Yes. Folklore. Let me give you one more. Folklore. You tell me this one. Okay. Does the woman become possessed by dark spirits <laughs> yes. when delivering? Especially during delivery yes. and yells out things that she uh-huh. regrets later. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. I yeah. knew that one yes. was real. Yes, possessed. Okay. Well, you know, this is why I'm thinking of it because it's springtime and we all have babies in springtime, right? Yes. And um, you just became a grandfather. Yes. So Coolest you went through the whole world. pregnancy thing yeah. with your daughter. Totally. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With your Beautiful. daughter. It was your daughter. It was my daughter. Yeah. Not, yeah. And. It's the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, but I still get calls, Dad. Hey, Dad, how do you put a suppository into a baby? Mm-hmm. So we worked that one out last weekend. <laughs> don't I mean, give us don't give us any details. I won't please. details, but it was the great. It was just a cool family moment. <laughs> like they brought the baby over and we just hung out. And, and how was your daughter during her pregnancy? She was great. Okay, she was great. See, I have one. It's my first. Yeah. That's um, pregnant, um, so I'm gonna be grandmother soon for the first time. And um, my daughter's just having a horrible time with with illness. Um, she's on Zofran. Oh, she's hard. sick all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, what? But you had the same DNA I had, and I was not sick. I don't yeah. understand this whole pregnancy. It's every different for everyone. No, but this is probably what your husband would have looked like <laughs> if, if he had pregnant. been pregnant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we're going to go through some myth busters. Okay. You, know well, that, you know that TV show, Myth Busters? Oh, yeah. Okay. Show. Are they true or false? Well, and here's another one. Sean O'Neill was out in the foyer waiting, and he was telling me the one he remembers was from All in the Family, if anyone ever watched that show. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess someone came over and hung a, a ring, a wedding ring from a string oh. over her belly. Right. And if it went Back and forth, no. it yeah. was a boy, and yeah. if it goes in a circle, it's a girl. My mom used to do that. Mm-hmm. We, it's voodoo. Voodoo, total. It's voodoo <laughs> magic. And I guess in all the Pelly, they're trying to debunk this myth because the ring went back and forth and around. Yeah. So it's going to be a girl or a boy. Or a confused person, <laughs> not knowing. Okay. So here about, there's a lot of things of predicting gender because before, in the olden days, when there was wives' tales, they wanted to know if it's a girl or a boy. They wanted to prepare. There was no ultrasounds back then. Right, right. No ultrasounds. In fact, I didn't have an ultrasound for my first couple because they didn't have them didn't back you? then. Yeah. I was back in the olden days. Right. I mean, they had them, but they were not something well, that you- Didn't you have the baby in the wagon? <clears throat> yes. 
across the prairie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just and, kidding. That's the joke they always use here. So we, yeah, we didn't know how to predict. So people would make up stuff like the ring totally. thing. How about this one? If you're carrying your baby high, it's a girl. Yeah. If you're carrying it low, it's a boy. This is while it's still in you. It, well, these are all while you're. Yeah. Because yeah. that's a. But that there's no no, no there's no evidence. Okay. It's false. Um, how about if you're craving sweets? Uh-huh. According to some, that means you're going to have a girl. If you crave salty and sour okay. things, it's a boy. Yeah. No. Again, folks, it's false. Uh, you know, it's not. What that's if they not real. kick harder? Yeah, and some people say if they're more active, it's a boy mm-hmm. kicking harder. You know, it's just not been proven by research. Right. Yeah. Sorry about that. How about um, you can't – this is a good one. You can't get pregnant while you're nursing. Like if you already have oh. a baby. Well, I'll debunk you're... that one. <laughs> did you have yeah, one of those? we did. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, that's a – you can debunk that one. Mm-hmm. Hey, what about this one? What if you spin your wife – Spin her head? On her back. Because <laughs> isn't there something about how you spin an egg and you can tell if it's boiled or not? Uh-huh. So can't you spin? I don't think you spin your wife. She would not appreciate that. Yeah, that's true. Uh-uh. You don't want to make her sick. And she's like a she's like a solid object. She does not turn anymore. She can't even <laughs> bend over and tie her own shoes. Yeah, well, that one. There's we, tried, of, we tried that There's one. not a lot of movement going no. on. Um, so, yeah, folks, you know, there is less of a chance you'll get pregnant while you're nursing because you are releasing different hormones that suppresses the, you know, o- you know o- ovulation and that kind of thing. Yes, that is true. But you still could and mm-hmm. don't count on that be a birth control method. Right. Um, how about this? You shouldn't have sex while pregnant because you might harm the baby. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a myth. Myth. Um, you can, unless you have some specific medical condition that your doctor warned you and says, you know, right. you can't do that. But no, you can. How about you can't take hot, hot baths while you're pregnant? Uh, I'm going with myth. You know, it depends on what we're talking about hot. Because you can take a Scalding bath. Scalding hot, you ought not take. <laughs> yeah. If we're talking baths that are kind of like the temperature of a jacuzzi, uh-huh. you're not supposed to be in that temperature. So okay. anything over 102 degrees wow. okay. um, or saunas, anything that would raise your temperature that you could handle okay, but the baby can't because the baby accentuates any kind of temperature raise in your body. It goes right. in there and they can't sweat. So they can't really, you know, so you don't, shouldn't raise your, so that's you, good. you can take a normal bath, you know, that's kind of warmish, you know, to hot, but. Um, but don't go into jacuzzis and don't go into saunas or anything really hot. Also, some people naively think that they can't take a bath at all, that they're going to drown the baby. <laughs> okay. Okay, no. They need an anatomy lesson. Yeah, they do. Okay. Um, and which kind of goes along with this idea that the babe, this fetus is sealed away in the uterus unaffected on what's going on out, uh, on the outside. Yes, it's sealed away as far as you can take a bath and the water is going to go inside. But is it sealed away unaffected by what's going on no. the outside? Okay, Matt, tell us about that. So if you're listening to that rock and roll music, mm-hmm. that's the baby's going to hear that, right? So or if you're being that's if you're being jostled around, if you're moving around too much or uh, diseases that could enter and mm-hmm. still get in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's things that can happen. Blood, mm-hmm. What if you're drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million things that could go wrong. Yeah, so there's things you can, they're called teratogens that are um, harmful agents, either that you ingest, like through alcohol or sec- secondhand smoke yeah. is not something yeah. you ingest, but it is an agent from the outside. Stress, mm-hmm. um, uh, in domestic violence, the baby will suppress growth yeah. and also f- um, be affected physically oh, uh, wow. in other ways if there's stress 
in the home. Stressed and, moms make stressed babies. Are yes, yes. Lots and, of anxiety. Yeah, lots of premature, perhaps. Um, a, a birth weight is under. Um, and like you said, the music. They they know the voices of yeah. what's going on, and so immediately when the baby's born, they've done this research where it will turn to the sound of the mother's voice because it already recognizes Interesting. That's and neat. are soothed by that sound as well as other sounds that they heard, perhaps yeah. types of music, like or just your wife's stomach gurgling. Yes, and the, you know they the sounds within the uterus. Um, calm the baby in the hmm. uterus, and so outside we try to create oh, that those sounds, sound those and, sounds yeah. when they're born um, to um, like white noise and things like yeah. that to to create that. that That's sound. why mm-hmm. with every child, I would spend an hour a night talking to him to my wife's belly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read him my dissertation. <laughs> I talked There's, about are they super smart kids? Super smart kids, mm-hmm. really. Strong, emotionally intelligent children. Because they heard it in the, yeah. in the womb. It was super cool. Yeah, so definitely what you say and do does affect um, the baby while it's in the, in the uterus. And um, to create that environment. And then after it comes out, you know, this, the, the heartbeat sounds, ba-boom, ba-boom. Uh-huh. If, they, if they hear things that are kind of rhythmic, they love that. That's why nursery rhymes, saying nursery rhymes, because it has that ba-bum, ba-bum sound to it. You know, yeah. humpty, dumpty, sad, and wall. Is they, that why? Yeah, it creates that heartbeat sound. Mm-hmm. And rocking in a rocking See, chair. Mm-hmm. you're so good. Okay, we got to take a break, but we're going to come back, continue the myths. There's one I want you to answer. Okay. About um, after we had the baby... I swear the doctor said that you know you're not supposed to be intimate after the baby's delivered mm-hmm. for I swear he said 4 to 6 weeks. Okay. But my wife said no, it was 46 weeks. <laughs> 46 years. And so we need that clarified. <laughs> we this, will. Uh, this is the Matt Townsend show helping you debunk the myths of uh, that surround pregnancy. Stick with us folks. Uh, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Matt Townsend Show. In studio, Julie Nelson, the bomb mom, the child whisperer. And she joins us today to talk about the myths of pregnancy. She is a, um, a professor at uh, Utah Valley University and is a, an expert in applied parenting, teaches classes there on parenting and marriage and relationship skills at the university. She also has a wonderful website, a spoonful of parenting.com, where you can get all of her latest works and blogs and everything. But we're debunking the myths of, uh-huh. um, of, of pregnancy. My, after the baby was born, my wife said, the doctor said, okay, you shouldn't be you know, intimate with each other for four to six weeks. My wife heard that as 46 weeks. The correct answer is what? Four to six weeks. But wow. it's actually what they say is that when the mother has her post uh, uh, birth checkup yeah. with her OBGYN, whatever that is, if it's four six four weeks or six weeks yeah. or seven weeks, whatever, whenever that appointment is, yeah. um, that's you, that's when he approves that everything's okay down there, the you, stitches have yeah. healed or whatever it is. You usually don't want to go there. That's just like a bridge too far. It is. <laughs> 
It is. It's a place you want to like avoid. That's right. Um, and plus, it really hurts down there a lot yeah. for the female. And so, I mean, imagine I've, I've heard this funny thing where Carol Burnett once said, man, if you want to know what it feels like to have a baby, take your upper lip <laughs> and I want you to stretch it out as far as you can. Now, pull it over the top of your head. I love that. And so, you know, that's what's gone on down that's there. Right. And that kind of hurts for yeah. a while. Yeah. So um, be nice men and, and wait till she goes to that post checkup and see if she's feeling all right down there that yeah. it won't cause her a lot of pain. It really is. A, it's a miracle. Yeah. It's a pretty cool thing. Mm-hmm. So next myth, myth is you should abstain from alcohol during pregnancy. That's a loaded question. Um, th- you know, we say true because most doctors will tell new mothers, um, to, or yeah, when you're pregnant, to to just be on the safe side and abstain from alcohol. Yeah. But the other studies have said that up to two glasses of wine per day is not harmful. But you know, who's going to stop you? Why risk it? Yeah, why risk it? And people under or overreport what they're what they're drinking, and when they're social drinking, they kind of lose track of how much. So yeah. they just say don't. Yeah, it's it's not worth the risk. So do abstain. And then how about you'll crave pickles and ice cream. Matt, yeah. did your wife crave anything? She craved um, – I don't remember, but it was oh, tuna fish. Mm. Did with, you have, did you have little mercury. dolphins Dolphins for no, children? Uh, she craved p- pickles too, but um, those, are, those aren't myths. Those are real. People have cravings, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so you, you will often have cravings. Some people do, but it's not that you're going to have you cravings. You don't have to, yeah. Mm-mm. And so, you know, cravings can occur. Um, so you might have things that are really kind of strange that you normally don't crave, mm-hmm. like tuna fish. I, yeah. I, I, I crave Big Macs. I don't even like Big Macs. Oh, they're um, Oh, But yeah, um, but not that you will. But the cravings doesn't mean that your baby needs something. Um, you know, they're like, my baby needs... So it's not the baby taking an my order. My baby needs some haagen ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, um, we need some haagen down here. <laughs> yeah. um, but there are people who do have really odd cravings like laundry detergent, paint chips, or clay. These are called pica. They're associated with an iron deficiency, and you should talk to your daughter. They've doctor. got other issues. Stop, stop taking the painting off your uh, – peeling paint off your walls. Like um, the foam. We, had, we just did a story about a lady that was eating the foam out of her, cu- out of her couch. Yeah. Or or dirt out of your garden. So go to see the doctor instead of eating those things. Um, I love this one, gender predictor. If you mix Drano with urine, it can determine the sex of your baby. If you pour it down the toilet and it turns blue, you have a boy. Pink, it's a girl. Ridiculous. Exactly. That you know who invented that one? The marketer at Drano. Drano. Mm-hmm. Jim Drano. <laughs> He wants to sell some more Drano. Come on, Jim. Oh. Be more creative. Well, he sold a lot. People are still believing it. They, <laughs> they do it for fun. Gosh. Okay. So um, going to prenatal checkups is extremely important. True. Absolutely true. Do do go. You have to go. It's very important to your baby, your health, and your health. How about this? Your water always breaks when you go into labor. False. And it will gush like a faucet. My water never broke. Mm-hmm. And it could just be a little trickle. You feel like, maybe I'm just peeing my pants here. Um, But no, it doesn't gush like the movies. They show these big dramatic, oh, oh, no, no. Um, How about the pregnant couple? This is good for one for you. The pregnant couple will sometimes feel disconnected and disoriented to one another. Yes. Yes. And if it doesn't happen during pregnancy, it might happen shortly after when you become new parents. And if it doesn't happen then, it could happen 500 other times throughout (laughs) the course of your marriage. Right? Yes. I mean, yes. are you kidding me? <laughs> How about having wide curvy hips makes childbirth easier? I'm going to say no, but I rang the bell yes. Oh, see, it's supposed to be a... Yeah. yeah it's, Does it? It's false. Yeah, it's false. Good. The size of the pelvis, not the hips. How about drinking castor oil, eating spicy foods, or jumping on trampoline will kickstart your labor? 
No, but it will give you heartburn. Yeah, you're right. It's false. The baby will come when it's good and ready. That's right. Leave it alone. Yeah. Let it bake. Um, how about pregnant women should avoid exercise? False. Mm-hmm. False again. Good. See how good I, I, I like am? Your, I like your uh, sound. I like that. Um, exercise is actually good for the baby and mom as long as it's in moderation and under a doctor's approval. This is a great one. The second birth will be easier. It gets easier as you go. False. Well, it can be false for some people, but generally, I believe this is me speaking from my experience is that it does get easier. It's truer because you can prepare and know what you're expecting. For Our first your child birth. was a girl about the size of a peanut. Our second child was a boy with a large head about the size of a 14-year-old. <laughs> so I'm going – Yeah, I can't – So that could have been – but, yes, I mean, but really yes. it's easier too because psychologically you know more what you're going to go through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's, I'm not going to – That's gonna, a it, trick. It, it, well, what it does is it helps you to say, OK, I can have another baby after the first one, which was so traumatic. Yes. OK, it might be easier the next time. So mm-hmm. it gives you hope. Right, right. Um, my neighbor's daughter just had her third and it was so easy. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. They were 10 minutes away from the hospital and she had the baby in the truck on the way to the hospital. I couldn't even get there. Wow. Yeah. She delivered her own baby. Seat belted in, sitting up in the front seat of her truck. That is while a tough her husband, cookie. While her husband drove. Yes. That's... How, he must have been a bad driver. <laughs> He's just bouncing Okay. All how over. about this one? Yeah. Um, you will fill an instant bond with your newborn baby. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. Many do feel an instant yeah. bond, but there are plenty of mothers and fathers who don't naturally feel this euphoric sense of love and connection with their baby. And they look like an alien. You've never met no. them. It's the first time Strange. you're strangers. Um, how did you feel with your babies? You know, Cute as can be. Well, but, but it is. There's the, first of all, you're like, that thing looks hideous. <laughs> then there's this. Then they clean them off and then you're like, oh, my heavens. And then I bonded with mine pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But if a woman falls into postpartum depression mm-hmm. – she may not connect and then she feels like a horrible woman for not connecting to her child. Some just don't connect and bond in. I loved mine. It's the teenagers I'm having a hard time bonding yeah. with. It's those older ones. I'm like, if I had known. You were cute when you were – that's why they come like really cute. cute about one years old. You're like, OK, let's just go back and look at those baby photos and remind yeah. myself how much I loved you. Because, oh, they're so disposable now yeah. at teen. Yeah. But then you love them again when they like bring you grandchildren yeah. like yours is. Yeah. yeah. This is a great segment. Yeah. We need to do hey, these more often. These are fun. Thanks, Matt. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's do this again. Okay. Let's do. <laughs> like I guess every couple of weeks. I we could do we'll Teenage do. Mythbusters. Yes. Oh, those oh, would be good. that would be really good. Okay. Yeah. That's, what, that's what we'll work on the next hour. Okay. Julie K. Nelson's her name. You got to go to her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. Great stuff there. Julie, thanks. Hey, thanks for letting me come. You're the real deal. Mm-hmm. And we, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, Ben was taking great notes. So uh, he's got a lot of great notes on the myths of pregnancy for some odd reason. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, folks. Stick with us. We're wrapping up the show. We'll be right back. There is a desert veiled in pavement. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Dr. Matt here. Um, You know, we're shooting it down to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. You got to get ready for it because these two are a handful. Jerem Jordan, Jason Shepard are joining us. Hello, gentlemen. I love Death Cab for Cutie. Nicely done. How did you know that? 
You're amazing. I've seen Death Cab uh, three times. Death Cab is what was taking place in China. Did you hear about this? No. No. Nice transition, though. Thank you. Six front loader, uh, like, bulldozer machines going head-to-head, fighting each other on a construction site. That sounds fun. It's like an episode of Transformers. I know. It? It's called Death Cab for <laughs> Cutie. It was crazy. They so, Nobody's saying what happened, but, you know, construction is down in China, and... Mm. Um, a bunch of guys started getting mad at each other, and they started ramming into each other and tipping the front end loaders over. And then a bunch of buddies said, "Not with my friend." And then game on. Six front end loaders going head to head. Sounds fun. It's crazy. Pacific, yeah, Pacific Rim, Transformers. Yeah, see, yeah, totally awesome. like that. Except none of them transformed. It was a little depressing. So nobody was actually in disguise. It's less no, no robots in disguise. No robots in disguise. None was, of that. When I was really young, I thought it was in the skies, like disguise. Ah, yeah, like okay. duh. Okay. Like yeah. what? Like the hip way of saying the. Yes. Robots in disguise. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, exactly. You'll never think yeah. of it the same. I know. You've ruined it now. No, um, I believe it was actually Mark Wahlberg who ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did, why? I just didn't. I, you know, like the I, I did not like the, the the reboot. You know, Shia LaBeouf is Shia LaBeouf. is a crazy person, but those were better movies with him. The first one's actually a good movie. The yeah. rest of them are not. But it's like it's like that aunt or uncle that you really do, you really don't like that much, but they're family, so you love them to yeah. a certain degree. <laughs> That's the way Transformers is with me. I I love Transformers because it meant so much to me when I was little. But don't you think that, that even if the movie is terrible, I will go see oh, it. Oh, I'm going to go see it. them. Yeah. There will be more Mar- and I will, Mark Wahlberg versions will, of it. I will like it. Don't too. you think Shia LaBeouf's a better motivational speaker Shia than LaBeouf? he is actor? Uh, unbelievable, right? Yeah. I, mean, I use that on the daily. Do you? Just do it! Make your dreams come true! <laughs> is, is that the pump-up speech you do with your team before you, you come oh, out yeah. and do the show? Oh, yeah. Right before we, we huddle up and we're yeah. <sighs> doing a dance and everything, and it, then we're screaming Shia LaBeouf. Is that why Spencer's gone? He, uh, I think he's back tomorrow. Yeah, I think is he? he is. Yeah. Well, we'll have he's to find out if how the trip went. Listen, Jason's been here four days, and it's been pretty good. No, you know what? Jason, I'm telling you, pound for pound... Jason, the greatest talent in this building. Exactly right. (laughs) No, honestly, Jason really is a super. He's a killer producer. He's a mutant. He's a he's a teenage mutant ninja producer. Okay. All right. I'll own that. I've I've already said this. I think he's probably seriously. He's because I knew him back in the day. I knew him. I knew him before he was Jason Shepard. I knew him when he was Larry. When he was Kill Wacky. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. When I was Chris Jackson, <laughs> he knew me. <laughs> exactly. See? Lou Al Cinder. Lou Al, when I, I knew him when he was Lou Al Cinder. When I was Cassius Clay, he knew me. <laughs> We've named all four. Uh, Akeem to Hakeem Elijah. Yes, exactly. There's the five guys we know that changed, changed their, their name when they converted them yeah. uh, to Islam. Islam. Yeah. Hey, um, should we change the subject? Sure. Transition out of that. Just try to get out of that one. Um, here's uh, how much money would you pay for a bag of Kobe Bryant of air from Kobe oh, Bryant's last game? Zero. Zero. Well, please tell eBay. me. Please tell me this is just a joke. That this is not a real thing. No. It's oh, no. The it's bidding. The bidding has gone up to. 
$13,600. Okay, see, Matt, this is what you need. This, this I would tells rather have you, a bag of hair. <laughs> no, but here's the – that's when you know – that people have way too much money when you are willing to fork over thirteen thousand plus dollars for literally oxygen. It's no, 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 no. It's not even oxygen. It's Kobe's oxygen. And see, for me, that would devalue it. Hold on, it wouldn't be oxygen if he excelled it. What would it be? It would be, it would be um, some carbon CO2. carbon dioxide. dioxide or something. It's it's a bag of carbon dioxide <laughs> from uh, Kobe no, in his last game. Uh, by the way, the the Lakers sold one point two million dollars in gear for that last uh, day. Really? Wow! Yeah. So you know what? They're making their money on Kobe leaving. <laughs> it's a great thing for the Lakers. Well, they've paid him twenty plus mil, so no, they've actually lost money. But... <laughs> yeah, but did you see how he <laughs> no, pulled out that last either. win against the Jazz? Tell me uh, that didn't. We don't need to. Tell need me to that's not priceless. That. We don't need to talk about it. I know that made me so mad. Yeah, there's no price on it. That's exactly. I mean, all, all you have to do is tip the guy over. He's old. I was He's tired. To at least see four games against the Warriors. That's what. Yeah. The goal was. I will take four games against anybody. I didn't care if it was the Warriors, the Spurs, the D League. I didn't care. I just wanted the Jazz to keep playing. I know. Let it go, guys. I know. You got it. You just. What's that from? Said I don't know. No one. Said no one ever. Hey, um, are you guys no doing? Are you going to do your show today? Still, I mean, it's the last show, I guess, till until Maybe. Spencer comes back. We're sitting right now at Desky McDeskerson, getting ready to do the show. <laughs> you remember? How is Desky? De- Desky's a little solid, dust, little solid. Dusty. He's solid as a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Today's show is one of the biggest shows we've ever done. And, you uh, said that yesterday. I, yeah, you're right. Um, okay. We're going to tell you. A lot of amazing stuff. The spring post spring depth chart came out. So who's mm. on it? What surprises are there? But what value do you give it? Our opinion is against the grain of I think most fans. So we'll, we'll mm. tell you why we think there is value to this on April nineteenth. Little controversy. We love controversy. Stir the pot. BYU. No, we don't actually. <laughs> but we we will. Uh, yeah, we'll give you that. Uh, also, Brian Logan on the show. Mm. Regular, you know, kind of yeah. co-host. He's going to bring it today Love and Brian. talk about the post-spring depth chart. And the Orlando Sentinel okay. newspaper yeah. uh, listed the top 25 non-conference games. Three BYU games in there. We'll tell you which three BYU games were listed as part of that list. Really? Wow. We'll also do Big Deal, No Deal, which, which is, is one fun. of my fa- It's one of my favorites. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal to do Big Deal, No Deal. And, and the Cougar Fan Fest, the yeah. BYU football team is going to go out on the road. Are they going to your city? We'll tell you the cities Ooh. where they're going to visit this summer. I bet you have a great graphic for that one. Whew, now you're putting the pressure on those guys. Your graphics also amazing. For the radio audience, no mm-hmm. graphics needed. No and graphics. No more firesides during the season. There <gasps> oh. will be firesides, but it's going to all be before fall camp. Oh, interesting. For those unfamiliar with what a fireside is, it's a gathering in a church the night before the game. It is literally not. It's not. There's no fire. Actually next There's no to a fire. fire. <laughs> Although I did have a fireside experience yesterday because the neighbors put in their fire pit, Ooh. so we had s'mores. Wow, that's great. nice. That's great. see, yeah. So that's great for those of us that do firesides. So now there's going to be a huge, you know. There's going to be a huge gaping hole in fireside opportunities that I could go if fill you're that doing gap. Firesides on Friday nights, yes. Yeah. I'll go travel with the team. That's great. Typically, there's uh, like high school football games. Yeah. See how you guys are. Bringing it all. I wish you the best of luck today in your show. 
Thanks, Matt. And again, Jason, thank you for uh, helping. Some say babysitting, but I just say helping. You got it, man. We lost you there, so I, I will. I hope I that was, was a compliment. I was trying to act like we had just. Heard I, I hope help. that was a compliment. It's a total compliment. Okay, Ask we, the team; they'll tell you. Okay. All right. See you guys. Knock yeah. them dead. Have a great show. See you. Bye bye. They lost me. Now they're going to be mad. I don't think Jerem should have agreed to that. Yeah, Jerem didn't know what he was agreeing to. I wouldn't buy a Kobe bag of air for thirteen thousand six hundred bucks for anything. I'm the top bidder. You are. Mm-hmm. The only problem is I don't have the money. Yeah, so you're in trouble when they actually give it to you. Yeah. Uh, someone once actually sold a bear, a, a bag of air. They call them a bear. A bag of air from a Kanye West concert on eBay. The price has hovered around $60,000 till they found out the air was actually from the living room of a guy named John Smith. Fraud. Fraud. Anyway, I don't know if that's true. I made that up. Here's a great story for you if you are a giver. A, a bottle of ranch dressing displayed at a Texas pizzeria with a long, uh, uh, with a, you know, a long history of being anti-ranch dressing. The pizzeria is, does not like ranch dressing. So it, uh, as a joke, had a really large bottle of ranch dressing and it said, hey, a side of delicious ranch dressing, $1,000. Joke. Well, never in a million years did they think that eventually they would be auctioning off that bottle of ranch dressing and some of the customers had wanted to buy the ranch dressing for $1,000. And it, it just so happens that uh, I guess near this pizzeria – they, um, there was a fire that destroyed a humane society in Beaumont, Texas, and they were trying to raise money. So this pizzeria owner put it up on auction and a guy paid $1,000 for an old bottle of ranch. What a, what a great guy. He is trying to help out this, the, the humane society. I hope he realizes that, <clears throat> that it's probably rancid right now. Yeah, but you know what? Probably shouldn't eat it. He, yeah, but he's doing it for the dogs. Okay. So he's going to eat it anyway. <laughs> so he's going to die for the dog. Because you're not going to you're not going to buy a bottle of ranch and then not eat it, even if it is rancid. But after it's rancid, it's no longer ranch dressing. It's rancid dressing, just as good. Hey, as you know, we like to always end the show with a, a hero story, and uh, today the hero is a bus driver praised for saving a student's life with the Heimlich Maneuver. An Oklahoma bus driver is being hailed as a shero after surveillance video captured her using the Heimlich Maneuver to dislodge a coin from a young student's throat. Last week, Ginger Maxville, a Manford Public Schools bus driver um, and special needs teacher assistant at the Manford Public School, was nearing the end of her normal afternoon bus route when she noticed a five-year-old boy standing up making noises. I thought he was just teasing me, and I thought he was just, uh, you know, not following my instructions, she told him after telling him to sit down. His sister said, I think he swallowed a coin. On the surveillance video, the boy could be seen standing up, gagging and clutching his chest. Maxville said she immediately parked the bus on the side of the road. I made sure the bus was secure. I went back and grabbed the student, she said. And on the video, it can be seen that uh, she's pulling the boy off the seat and into the aisle and then administering the Heimlich maneuver. He was just red and gasping for air, she said. And after a minute or two, Maxville succeeded in dislodging the coin. She saved his life. How cool is that? 
Um, and then uh, they embraced each other after that. And she said, don't do that again. You scared me to death. You hear me? And then she said, oh, I thank the Lord that you're okay. It was just uh, God working through me, but I'm glad we got it done, the driver said. And uh, the school superintendent also you know, praised her as a hero. So there you have it. She's the hero of the day, Ginger Maxville, a Manford public school bus driver. And folks, all of you can help... Uh, you know, the people around you to live longer and healthier lives, whether it's the Heimlich or not, it's just simply being there, noticing the signs, paying attention to each other and responding. Again, we can't do the show without you. We'll be here again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern time. Stick with us and uh, we'll help you see the good in the world throughout the show. Also go to iTunes, tune in, look for the show there or the podcast and send those to your friends that need them. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great day.